0: What's the best way to fish like a local? What if you could book a trip with an experienced local guide with the click of a button? Now you can with Fishing Booker. Now anyone can access enjoyable fishing experiences anywhere. Take the legwork out of setting up that trip and explore more than 30,000 fishing experiences at your fingertips. Just go to fishingbooker.com to get started and book your trip with a local guide. That's fishingbooker.com. Fishing Booker. Fish like a local.
1: Hey guys, it's Steve on my phone in Hawaii, where it happens to be turkey season. And it is, right now, turkey week here at Meat Eater, which means tons of great turkey hunting content. A lot of great offers on turkey gear at TheMeatEater.com. And even a calling contest where I am getting my ass thoroughly kicked. Go find it all at TheMeatEater.com.
0: Ho oh, hey everybody, episode one, zero, two what did you say episode 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 102 coming at you from bozeman now this is a big one it's packed full of stuff lots of stuff lots of stuff it's gonna probably be longer than normal and the the two things you're about to hear don't relate to each other at all really um but we're having fun nonetheless now we start the show out we have Giannis patelis joe farinato seth morse flip-flop flesher and the baritone badass uh i just named him that by the way, Spencer, it's going to stick. So, Mr. Newarth, and of course, Phil, the engineer. So, that's 102's early panel. We selected the winner of the draw a fill contest, voice face contest. We did. It was tough. We did our best. Hopefully, you will share these picks on my Instagram at BenioB301 so you can see them after the fact. We had a lot of fun selecting them. So, thank you so much for sending those in. And we had Luke and Lisa, two THC listeners, at least one of the two of them is. Call in. They got engaged. We heard their engagement story. I gave Luke a little bit of advice via Instagram, and he he uh, performed it to a T. Did you did you think so, Phil? I think so. I did a great job. Great job. Great yeah. interview. Great stuff. So thank them for joining us. You'll hear that soon. And we had Ryan Holiday from the Daily Stoic. Uh, Stoicism is what he practices. is an ancient Roman philosophy centered around uh, Marcus Aurelius and many others. So. You're going to hear from him. That was a great interview. Like I said, these two things are kind of unrelated, but have fun with it anyway because it's THC. Uh, before we get to all that, one more time, go to firstlight.com slash Hunt. Sign up to go to New Zealand with me. You're going to get a Weatherby rifle. You're going to get a bench made knife. You're going to get a whole First Light kit. And this is one of the better contests you'll ever hear of. So go and do it. Do it now if you haven't already done it and you're eligible Get over to FirstLight.com and enter. Enter, enter, enter. Don't know why you wouldn't unless you're ineligible. So if you're eligible, go over there. Now, episode 102. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 102. Yeah. I get that right? Yep. 102. This is a big time operation right now. We're trying to do, we're trying to juggle a lot of things, right, Yanni? Like we got, we got people on the phone. We got how many people in the room? We got six people in the room. This is, uh, this is going to be tough for Phil to put together, right? No, I'm a pro. You're a pro? Confident. Well, let's go around the table real quick, just because there's so many people. To my left, the baritone badass.
2: Spencer Neworth. Senior hunting editor, meat eater. Nice. Did you ever smoke cigarettes, Spencer? <laughs> uh, I could probably count the amount of cigarettes I've smoked on two hands. Total. That's it.
3: So ten. Yeah, like if, if someone and those ten or, didn't or like, those <laughs> ten didn't do that to your voice.
0: No, no. No, you smoke cigar. One thing about Spencer you'll like to know. Not only is he a senior editor, he uh, is a hot tub guy. He loves every morning. He goes in a hot tub. Big time hot tub yeah. Oh, he's yep. also a cat guy. Mm, that's Seth. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Seth, you're here. Yep, Seth Morse. Stand in for Cal. You'll Stand find in out in why later. You uh, just needed to be here to bring that mustache flavor. Yep. Thank you. The room needed a mustache. So Thank here you. Here I am. And then the eagle is here. Yep, Janice Pudilis. Thank you, Janice. Joe Farinato.
4: Joe Ferranato, community coordinator. No, you're the Jamie. Oh, yeah, I'm the Jamie
0: now. <laughs> the Jamie. Now. The Jamie. So, Jamie.
4: Meteor CrossFit like
0: expert,
3: too.
4: Yeah, I eat yep.
0: CrossFits. I do. You know that. And uh, Phil, the engineer behind the board. What's up? And on the phone, uh, Luke and Lisa are on the phone. Say hi, guys. Hi. If you're still there, if Phil didn't mess something up. <laughs> They're still there. Okay, great. I'd like uh, to hang out because Luke seems like he's got an attitude or he's got something against me. <laughs> I love you, Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> Never mind. He sounds great. He loves you. <laughs> he loves you. Okay, so... Luke I even
5: went back and looked at his Instagram page today so I could figure out some more stuff about him. Oh, he's
0: coming prepared. not a whole out there, so... Coming prepared. I yeah. like it. Now, Luke and Lisa are here for a special reason. You guys got uh, engaged. Is that right? Oh, I got that right. That is correct. That's,
6: that's right. And
0: when was this?
6: That was back in September.
0: Back in... All the way back in September. And when is the wedding? Do you have the guy yeah. set a date to the wedding? I know that's a big deal. November Ooh, Nove- of this year. Now, listen, Luke. Yeah, you're that sounds mistakes. like the Whitetail okay. run. Right? <laughs> L- Luke. <Ohio>. Luke. <laughs> what's going on, man? what. <laughs> <laughs>
5: It's a give and take relationship. There we go. Already <laughs> off to a good start.
3: Good answer.
0: <laughs> what are you getting out of it, Luke? <laughs> yeah. What are you getting? Because that's during the what? Uh, the, well, the white
5: Actually, work. last night we just signed the papers on our new house, so I get nice. to move out of my shanty into a pretty nice house.
0: Congratulations, congratulations. Um, well, one mistake begets another. Uh, the houses, houses are a tough thing to take care of, and you can't get married or apparently have kids in November or September October in the hunting space. Is that right guys? Does anybody Absolutely. else? Have? Yeah,
2: I agree with yeah, that. Yeah, everybody here like recoiled when she
0: said November. Yeah, it was a shock. Yeah. <laughs> like We're like oh! yeah. Luke, no. <laughs> Why? All right. Well, um, uh, Luke, go ahead and give me the full rundown, as much as you want to give us of your relationship with Lisa. Lisa, please make sure he's correct. Correct him if you need to. Um, <laughs> where, where you guys met. Like, like you want to go
5: all the way back to like first date or how yeah. we met or what? Let's go
0: how, how you how met. Let's go how you met first and then the speed forward to the proposal. But how you met.
5: Well, we met actually on Bumble. Uh, we matched and we, the only reason we actually matched was because I happened to be at my parents' house and she happened to be in Lincoln, Nebraska. So we, our radiuses were small enough that we happened to pop up. And I was so tired of like the dating things or whatever. I think the second thing I did was ask her for her phone number and, uh, she gave it to me. And then a couple days later, when I got back up on the app, she wasn't there anymore. <clears throat> but I remembered that I still had her phone number, so I texted her and just kind of started from there.
0: And love, when did love blossom? Right away, at first sight, or did it come later on?
5: Um, uh, actually, I could probably tell you that I knew that she was the one when we were uh, chopping up a huge tree branch in my backyard that had fallen on my roof and knocked my chimney over and totaled her car, basically. And so we were out chopping it up, and I missed the tree branch and smoked my shin with an axe. And instead of freaking out or anything, she laughed at me and went inside and got some stuff to patch me up. And I don't know. I figured after that, she, she probably handled yeah, most during, of what I can throw at her.
0: During the suturing process, love was born.
6: <laughs>
5: yeah.
0: <laughs> I like it. Yeah, now, pretty much. Lisa, where are we at with you? Where? What are you thinking about this whole thing? Was that correct? Are you on board?
6: That... That was probably a similar timeline. I think it didn't really hit for me that I actually thought he was the one until a few months later I was in Europe, and I, I actually missed him. So <laughs>
0: oh, I, Was that surprising? You're like, I missed this guy.
6: Yeah, it was. I'm like, oh, <laughs> maybe maybe he is the one.
0: Beautiful. And that, how many years, years ago or months? Was this a quick, uh, quick uh, to marriage, or have you guys been together a while?
6: Um, It'll be two years in April that we've been together, dating.
0: Yeah, that's right. Does anybody else here have any questions? Yanni, you you have an inquisitive look. Well, yeah, I'm going to have to rewind
3: the way way back because here's a good boomer question for you. Maybe you can just really quickly (laughs) give me the rundown of how uh, Bumble works and what that is and what that means. Well, Come on, well Bumble
5: is like the classy dating app because the girls have to talk to you first. You can match with them, but it, it does away with a lot of the uh, the creepy guys just uh, blowing up girls' direct messages. And so basically she gets to pick if she wants to talk to you or not. And so it's kind of like Tinder, but classy. classy, <laughs> classy, <laughs> classy <laughs> Tinder. Somebody,
0: if anybody at Bumble is listening, you can use that. It's kind of like <laughs> Tinder, but classy. <laughs> Bumble dot com. Is, is
3: there like an essay, like a two hundred word essay about yourself there on your on your profile? Is it just pictures? Like, what what all do you tell somebody on Bumble when they just match you or find you?
6: You you can put a little like summary. You can be as uh, direct or um, sarcastic as you want to be, and then you just put some pictures. Um, and then you just have to give your location. So that's how you kind of match within a certain
0: radiate. Yeah, I missed the I missed the the dating the online dating thing. I yeah. did too. I missed it. Has anyone it, here done the done the app stuff? Oh yeah, I, I've done it. Yep. <laughs> the, okay. You, the yep. Yep. Years Flip-flop definitely ago. Flip flop is proud. He's like, I did
4: it. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I do it again.
0: <laughs>
7: <laughs> um,
0: yeah, I, did, I did too. My best friend got
4: married off of Bumble too. Awesome, man.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm into, I, I just met my wife like ten years ago, and so it wasn't really. Wasn't I mean, fun. it was around, but it wasn't a popular. A way to do it. I would have done it. I would be into it. Let's not I, let's not focus too much on the I made my not, a, not I, a sponsor.
3: I made my wife a uh, mixtape on a cassette
5: Whoa. when we, we when
3: we started dating. Okay, this,
5: there was
3: there was no internet. I'm what kidding. was there on was, that mixtape? I'm sorry, Luke. At least oh, we got to learn this about Yanni. Please The hang only song us. I know that I can tell you for sure uh blue sky Almond brothers i know that was oh, on there man yeah <laughs> no i sent a lot of there's a lot of uh messaging
0: i don't that know that Almond brothers really gets the mood going but you're depending. my blue sky you're my sunny day come on <laughs> well, that's true that's true uh nobody else here phil you probably didn't you were before you're like me lady yeah. before i met my wife nine years ago so yeah and i didn't right. do any of it in college no no nope. no all right um all right well let's let's fast forward to the proposal now, Luke, you're thinking about how long you've been thinking about this. How'd you get the ring? Give us the run up to the proposal.
6: Let's see.
5: I was probably probably the end of that summer. So that the, would have been like the July or August before I proposed is when I was ready. But um, I, of course, had no money to buy an engagement ring. So I had to wait until I could afford it. And then uh, what I did was I went down to our jewelry store and uh, I just had her kind of tell me what she liked. And mostly, actually, I had her tell me what she didn't like. And uh, so then I went and worked with the jeweler, and I picked out the, the wedding band. And then we looked at a whole bunch of diamonds underneath the uh, the microscope and everything. And so I got that built. And then I was actually doing my uh, OSHA 10 training at my new job. And uh, the, the jeweler called and told me that the, the ring was done. And he said I could just come pick it up whenever I wanted. And so I went and uh, told my uh, supervisor who was doing our OSHA 10 training that I had to go for a personal emergency, and uh, oh. drove all the way back home Hope and they're not listening. picked the ring up. Nah. <laughs> and then I picked the ring up, and then I turned right around and and. Drove up and and basically proposed. Do you want the whole proposal story to Well, or? you
0: know, at some point in there, i like I didn't remember this until we were reading Phil's first uh, Doctor Phil medicine woman segment on the show, and <laughs> yeah. I didn't remember that you had written in with some questions for Philip. Um, and I didn't remember that I'd I'd even corresponded with you about this, but apparently at some point along the way, you, you asked me, hey, what's up with the proposal, or what should I do?" And then what did what the hell did I even say? Yeah, to you? I think.
5: I literally just said, hey, man, I'm thinking about proposing to my girlfriend. What should I do? And you said to keep it simple and make it about her and don't do anything extravagant. Um, basically, just try to keep all the focus on her. I wish you'd have said wear pants, because then security would have interrupted <laughs> when I was doing it in the parking lot.
0: Well, that was but, my uh, mistake. <laughs> I'll take the hit on that one. I should have. No. Uh,
5: so, yeah, I think, uh, I think I asked you, like – Three, three or four days before I did it, and you responded right away, and so I was like, "Oh, that's that's a good idea," because I'm not really very good at like, I don't know what I was going to do, sing her a song, or or like, and I know she hates surprise parties or anything like that, so I figured I would just. uh, keep it as simple as possible and so that's that's pretty much what i did that's
0: a good way to pressure a girl into saying yes well, we have surprise engagement party <laughs> your whole
5: family yeah. sees. <laughs> there's hundred people here yeah, yeah.
0: exactly yeah. so lisa you knew it was coming you were like just waiting for him to to pull it out like you had an idea I, right i
6: had i had an idea that it was coming but i we had talked about it obviously i sent some ring ideas but i thought it was probably more like christmas time or like the beginning of 2020 somewhere in that time frame so i didn't think it would be that early
0: wow he okay. can't okay now tell
3: us if luke had been smarter he would have waited because then the wedding might have been pushed off into december or january, or january. <laughs> yeah <laughs> that'll be a
0: big <laughs> takeaway from this guys 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 you gotta <laughs> timing is everything timing is everything uh, i had my first child in october that's not a great that's not great. Second one? January. Perfect. Perfect. Mm. Um, Figured it out. You learned. All right, Luke, give us the rundown of, of how how it went down. Just give us all the emotions. Well,
5: um, af- after I picked the ring up, I want to say it was probably uh, it was probably like one in the afternoon. and I probably took about three hours to make a an hour and a half drive because that ring was the uh third most expensive thing i've ever bought in my life mm-hmm. t- besides my house and my truck so i was freaking out and plus there's all those stories about like people getting in a car accident or something horrible happening to somebody right on their way to get engaged so i was fairly paranoid about that where have you been reading those they're out there but <laughs> well, yeah I was very I was pretty pretty terrified and uh, so I just basically just uh, parked by her car in their work parking lot and then I texted her when I got there and said, Hey, uh, what did I I think I you said I was called me. Oh I called her and said, Hey, why don't you come down to your car? Or uh, yeah, and so she's like, Oh, okay. I think you thought I was gonna take you out to dinner or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And then uh, she texted me uh, that she was on her way. And she was taking up like way, way, way too long, like an abnormally <laughs> long amount to just walk down one flight of stairs and get out to the parking lot. So I think I probably texted her two or three times while she was on her way. And uh, she got to the parking lot and I was waiting outside my truck and she kind of was walking up and smiling, wondering what I was doing. And that's when I reached in my pocket and pulled the ring out. And as I was getting down on one knee, uh, you know, fumbling around with the ring box, she took off running back towards her car and told me to shut the fuck up
7: <laughs> and
5: uh, as they do and, and then and then after she kind of got over whatever the hell that was uh, <laughs> she came and, wow.
0: oh man Luke <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> and then she came and, and said and said yes and i i gave her the ring and, and then we had to go and we went to a middle school c team girls bat or volleyball game Romantic. So we celebrated right <laughs> after, right after we got engaged, and that's basically where we told our, her family, and I was on the phone with my family pretty much right after that, and that's kind of that's kind of the day we got engaged, pretty much. That's awesome.
0: Now, Lisa, where do you have the the shut the fuck up moment? What's what? What? Explain that to us. <laughs> <laughs>
6: I just like I I I think I was just so surprised. I mean, really caught off guard. Like I had to take a moment to like Mm -hmm. let it soak in. Oh my! Oh, he's actually he's actually doing this. (laughs) This is happening.
0: (laughs) He did it. Um, Well, that's awesome. Congratulations from everybody. Everybody Congratulations. Round of applause probably is in in order. (laughs) Well done. Well done. You guys are still you're still confident we're going to make it to November. We're good healthy relationship oh
5: yeah
0: lisa so, so, far, so,
6: good. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: far so good well listen thanks for the story uh that's awesome we'll all we're all gonna we're gonna let you guys go but we're all gonna tell our own stories of how we i had my wife ran away from me the first time i tried to kiss her luke so don't worry i mean she ra- <laughs> and she ran down a pier like a long long pier And I had to watch that whole. She had to run like 100 yards down the spear. (laughs) And I was just at the end of it one, thinking the whole time, like, what? I hope she doesn't trip.
3: (laughs) Did she run to the end where you have to jump off or the end that goes to land?
0: No, the end that goes to land. Uh I was thinking about jumping off. I'm like, I thought I had this. Uh, She described it as I was trying to like lick her face. I thought I was going in for like just a nice peck on the cheek. She described it as maybe like uh, coming in, making noises. I was a little drunk. It's fine. It's all fine. But she ran away. <laughs> and So I felt a connection with you, Luke, when you said that, that she ran away. I thought, oh, well, that happens to everybody, right, Phil? Yeah.
5: No. I just figured no. that's, that's how it's like a true love story. It's a
0: true love story. If yeah. she, that's if the, if she, that's yeah. what
5: they put in all the movies, right? When they propose, the girl always runs away and tells the guy to shut the fuck up. So I figured that it would just be perfect.
0: Yep. <laughs> uh, you've got mail. That's, I think that's what happens between Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks, right? Yeah everything yeah joe's no, telling me yeah do the like research your notebook. <laughs> um listen lisa and luke i talked to our friends at first light and i was like man these two kids are getting married we need to give them something so kevin harlander my good buddy at first light said we're going to give you each a beautiful piece of the brand new first light gear to either wear it would be nice if you wore it at the while going down the aisle as a nice you know piece of advertising but you don't have to no pressure <laughs> so we're gonna hook up with you after the show we're gonna get you a beautiful piece of new first light gear we'll let you kind of pick what you want and go from there um, as a nice wedding gift from us here at THC. So congratulations!
5: Oh well, thank you so awesome. much, man. That's awesome. Thank you.
0: No problem. We will. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time. We're gonna hang up and then tell lots of crazy stories about our own, our own uh, engagements. So thanks, guys.
5: All right, thank, thank you. you.
6: Thank you.
0: See ya. All right, that was beautiful. That was cute. That was great. Yeah, that beautiful. was great. <laughs> Although
3: I've never heard of these uh, stories of. Oh, everybody dying and getting injured yeah, on that. the way over to the well, engagement. you guys know. Everybody knows. That's <laughs> yeah. a common thing that people know
0: about. Where, where you just go to propose and you get... And you're playing crashes. Ah, yeah. oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. And he drove you half your the truck. speed.
3: He was so worried about a deer jumping in front of him.
0: Yeah, <laughs> like dude, people can die at 30 miles he's, an hour.
3: He's looking for snipers trying to pick him off on the way over.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oncoming traffic. Yeah. Well, I had a very... like uh, Mine was very romantic. I gathered my wife's entire family i was already back in maryland at the time we were living in illinois so i flew back early made an excuse flew back early gathered my wife's entire family my entire family and waited for her at the airport she was flying in a couple days later made signs that said will you marry me
3: that's a lot of pressure man
0: yeah well we made us all these signs and everybody in her family was holding a letter right and so we oh were, nice as she came down right so you pressured her well here's what happened uh People started to see. It was we were waiting on her for a while, like half an hour, holding these signs. People in the airport started to see this, and so a giant crowd of random strangers mm. formed around my family. Oh, the family. Lots Lots of, hundreds, area. yeah, hundreds Whoa. of people with their phones out, <laughs> like <laughs> recording this. I remember I, she, she came down the escalator and I got down on one knee and said, "Will you marry me?" And she immediately said, uh, "Yes." And then I looked to my right and there's a random dude I've never seen before, like. Walking up to us, filming in our faces, like, yeah, that's awesome. So, uh, I believe it made the news the next day, but there was like a, a bunch of strangers giving us a round of applause. And then we got into a limo and we went to a dinner that I had planned. So, oh, nice, that's in, good. In, there your, you go. that in good. your faces, guys, yeah, that was that's impressive. It was good. It was, and she said that was the best moment of our relationship. So, I like to <laughs> downhill. <laughs> downhill. 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 downhill ever since. Um, Seth, you're the only one that hasn't done this, yes. Uh, living in sin, huh? Living in sin you every day. have a day. beautiful girlfriend, <laughs> yes. Kelsey. Yep. Um, she'll probably listen to this. Would you ever want to say anything to She's her? She's pretty Maybe, smart, too, Ben. Yeah. Maybe propose now? <laughs> Not yet. Not yet? Not yet. Any reason? Uh, just, just you know, just making sure it's the right one. That's fine. She's the right one. That's fine. She'll listen to this. That's fine. Uh, Yanni, we got to hear about yours. Uh,
3: I don't have one because... My wife proposed to me.
4: Should've yes. Should have known. That is great. That yeah. is fantastic.
3: I guess I was uh, dragging my heels so long, which it wasn't that long because we hadn't even been together for two years. And uh, we actually went to Belize and she had a, uh, It's just like a Latvian internet ring is the <laughs> easy, easiest way to describe it. She but... had it made. Um had gotten some ideas from some family and whatnot, but it didn't arrive in time, and so she, the our roommates at the time thought, Well, we'll just ship it down to Belize because we we're going to be down there for like a month or hanging out.
2: Are you wearing this ring right now? No, I'm not. Okay,
3: um, no, fuck it. Engagement, I, I wear my wedding band now, um, but uh, so it got stuck in customs in Belize. And so she never got it until we were on our way out out of Belize City. And we had to go into this like crazy, like Belize City warehouse of, of Belizean customs and go and get this box. And I'm like, and she st- wouldn't tell me what was going on. Finally, she broke down in tears and was like, there's this ring that I made for you. And I was supposed to da, da 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 da. And uh, of course, I said yes. Wow. But so did you it, expect it to come? Is it was like. Oh, uh, you know, we've been talking about it. We knew we were going to get married. Wow. But it was interesting because then I got home and I had to call our dad and be like, so, hey, usually yeah, I can make this call first, but your crazy ass daughter. And, you know, he gave us his blessing anyway. That's awesome.
0: It's like the Bumble version of getting engaged. Yeah, it's it's like that. Yeah, Bumble traveling to Belize. Honey's an onion. You just peel back those layers. <laughs> it's, always something, it's always something to
4: make you cry underneath. You know? That's, Joe, what's yours? You're recently
0: I, engaged.
4: Yeah, two years ago. Well, almost two years ago. Oh, yeah. Maybe two years in August, I guess. But we pushed it out so many times to avoid the whole getting married in November.
0: Yeah, thing. I was surprised that Luke <laughs> let <laughs> that go down.
4: We changed the date so many times and Calvin was always like, can we just do it in like, you know, September to, to November? I'm like, Nh. No, sorry, off limits.
0: Yeah, I, I will admit, and, I'm uh, a little afraid that I'll, we'll get an email from Luke like six months from now. And like, I tried to argue it back to August, and it's not going to happen. It
4: didn't work. <laughs> we broke
0: it off. So I ho- yeah. hopefully, we didn't
4: negatively affect his relationship. But I proposed in a river in Alaska fishing for salmon. Nice. Yeah, so she loves fly fishing and stuff. So I uh, towed it a ring around Alaska chasing caribou nervous, and fishing nervous. for salmon that's a I nervous was like, time I was like slapping my backpack every third step to make sure it was still there yeah. and uh, ended up putting the ring in a fly box over a fly and uh, when she was like oh, I need a different fly nothing's biting she on this she took it one. out and
0: threw it in the river
4: <laughs> she almost dropped it in the river yeah, she man, definitely that's almost a dan- dropped you, you went through a
0: dangerous <laughs> yeah it
4: was very dangerous it was way dangerous and that. as soon as she put it on her finger and I was like this is out of my hands if you lose it it's on you <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well done. Spencer, but, uh, you have to have one. Uh, yeah,
2: we just like, we've never been that traditional. And so um, when we decided we were going to get married, I had her pick out like the exact ring. Yeah. Like the exact ring, uh, the exact size, everything. And I, I gave her a budget. I'm like, okay, this is the amount of money. And of course, she came within $2 of that budget. Yeah, that's right, that's a good. Couldn't be like a few thousand under. It was just like $2. $2. <laughs> right. So uh got the ring and then I sat on it for like. A few months i was also living in illinois at the time oh yeah like you yeah peoria yep yep Center. came back to uh south dakota which is where we grew up came back there for thanksgiving i uh, went on a pheasant hunt came back from the pheasant hunt proposed um which there was like no drama involved because she knew it was coming yeah so you like hey here's a ring Yep, that's that's kind of how it went. There was uh, it. Here's some cousins. Enjoy it for the rest yeah. of your life. Yep. The awareness yeah. was there. Uh but then the time it worked out because then we saw our families that weekend and we could tell them. Um so
0: that's how it went. That's nice. No hot tubs involved. No hot tubs Damn I wish you were like <laughs> I put it in the jet and it flew up into the surface mm-hmm. of the water. I was hoping. I was hoping. Um all right, well that's great. Every I'm feeling good. Congratulations to Luke and Lisa. Um, I thought that was a pretty cool thing to try to do. It, I was thinking this might not work, but he had some good stories. Oh, it like worked! Yeah, great. Bumble. I didn't know any of that stuff before we called Luke and Lisa. Yeah, so, congratulations awesome. to them, and thank you to First Light for helping them out with some with a wedding gift from us. THC. Now, uh, another giveaway, Phil. Phil, yes, sir. Phil Taylor. Phil T. Engineer. Phil T. Engineer. We have. We you'll hear the rustling of papers. We have a big, big thing to decide. We do thing to decide now. On episode 100, we announced a, a slew of giveaways. Too many giveaways. It turned out for a lot of reasons. Are you regretting any decisions that I'm not have regretting? Le- have it have led because it's this been moment. fun. Okay. But I will say that it's been a lot, a of, lot, of, lot, a lot of work going through all your submissions. We got a couple, of, a couple of hundred, uh, what we'll call Phil's voice face drawings. These were drawings that were. Illustrations that were done of Phil's face and likeness based only on hearing the sound of his voice. And this was a contest to win a Yeti Tundra 110 and a, and a WorkSharp Ken Onion sharpener. So, Phil, how do you feeling in general? Before we get going on this, how are you feeling in general about what has occurred here? Um... I should be flattered, and I am flattered, but I'm mostly embarrassed. I walked into the <laughs> office after being out of town for several days, and <laughs> hanging behind my desk uh, were dozens of these drawings. Yeah, you put them there. I did, as if to surprise Seth helped me. me. I helped. Yeah. Thank you, Seth. Um, we, use, we use tape. I, <laughs> a lot of tape. But those, those <laughs> were even called from a bigger batch. Like, yeah, how many yeah. drawings did you get? Almost 300. Oh my! Drawings. Wow. Almost 300, and um. I will tell you before we get into this. If you Photoshop something, it did, I didn't include it. Although there were some pretty hilarious Photoshop's, and if it wasn't a drawing, if you, a lot of people just sent me pictures of things that they thought Phil looked like. A lot of Simpsons characters were involved. Uh, a lot of people thought you might look like Kevin from Home Alone. Um, there's a lot of a lot a lot of different. I can see that resemblance. Yeah. Me too, me too. Come on, uh, do it, Phil. Macaulay Culkin, do the thing. Ah, <laughs> oh, there, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's, it looks pretty good. Wow. So we we stuck with just the ones that were illustrated, which there were over 100 of those. And then we called them down to what we put on the wall, or Phil's wall is about 50-some maybe, somewhere in that number. And then uh, yesterday we called them down to six, top six. Uh, and there are that many people in this room, so we can't all just pick a separate one. Uh, but we've printed them out. As you can hear, the sound effect of paper. Everybody make your paper sounds. We're taking this shit seriously. Because you're going to win quite the prizes for this one. And we have three other giveaways. And I just don't have enough time to read hundreds of poems and listen to hundreds of turkey calls. and. Uh so we're going to get to those. We're going to do one a week for the next couple of weeks as we go through. And so you guys will just have to hang with us and stick with us while we announce these winners because I want to read them all and look at them all. There are some – I spent the last six days laughing my ass off while looking at these, while listening to your turkey calls and watching the videos. There's one guy who sent a video in where he had decorated his house with various artifacts from the show. He had illustrated uh, my hamster squeakers and framed it and put it in his bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. We got several rap videos from people. Um, it's fantastic. Just well done out there. Well done. Uh, I'm very happy with where we're at right now. Yeah, so I, I felt bad calling it down to six. Yeah, we had a big. I I, I was, was just mad. so I was I'm just so impressed by people who have more talent than me. Uh, and I didn't I didn't want to give them short strip. But just know that I saw many of these drawings and the detail and the uh, the just the care was um
3: well there's no way it's very that, flattering there's no way that number 5 has more artistic talent than we will <laughs> we'll get to that i've got number stuff five five to say is a about big number bone. 5 of <laughs> contention so here's what's
0: going down i've numbered these i've numbered each one of the entries 1 through 5 and i put the name of the person who who sent them in and so we're going to there's no unfortunately this is america there's no participation trophies if you didn't win you didn't win we're not giving any second or thirds out here at THC. I'm sending a participation trophy. Yeah, if you're not first, you're last. If not first, you're last. Uh, but we do appreciate you doing this. I'm looking at number one, and it makes you laugh every time <laughs> I look at it. So we're going to go around the table. I'm going to give each person a number, and I'd like you to just describe what you see. Seth, would you start with number one, please? And no, tell us who it's from. Um, Ryan Estrip? Estrip. E-S- Estrip. Um, I will say, going through all these... It, it, it was alarming how many had butt chins. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a lot of people think. Hey, do you have, butt a chin. you have a butt chin? You have a butt chin, do you? Oh, you do. A little do. bit. Yeah. You do a little bit of one. That's fine. Um, <clears throat> one is one is actually the one that I picked out of all the ones that I saw. One could be kind of maybe your dad or uncle. Yeah, kind yeah, of looks sure. like you a little bit. <laughs> it's a dad bod. Um, <laughs> so please do your best <clears throat> to describe this. So one. So this guy's a l- little bit uh, heavy set. He's got a butt chin. Um, pretty puffy cheeks. He's got a terrible excuse of a mustache. Um, he's standing there with one hand in his pocket and one hand holding a coffee mug, which I've seen Phil stand just like this. Before. Yeah, this is what <laughs> like this is Phil, why it gets me. <laughs> yeah, this is why I chose it because I've seen Phil stand exactly like this before. He's got like a polo shirt on, yeah, he's got with... a polo on it says Star Wars. Yep. It's a very professional Star Wars um, tee. His uh-huh. his polo is tucked in. Yep. Um so what looks like a pair of slacks. A yeah. very a very tiny pair of glasses. If this was if this was <laughs> yeah. uh in color, they would be khakis, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, khakis yep. for sure. Um yeah, square glasses, and he's got like a little like greased up um like hairstyle in the front, like a little flippy thing. He looks like that dude from the office who has the stapler. Office Office space. space. Office space. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's like my stapler. That's what this. If you're Mm -hmm. trying to picture this, that's what you should be picturing. That guy. Yeah. Basically, what? So that's what Ryan thinks. Phil's voice. Face. Phil, go ahead and react to that one. What do you? How's it make you feel? This is one of my favorites. Uh, It's It's not. (laughs) It doesn't paint me in the best light, but (laughs) this this guy's got this guy's got a story. He's got a lot of. (laughs) He's looking into the distance. His lips are like somehow just like pursed to, to, like inquisitively. Yeah,
2: he looks like he manages. A bad hot tub store.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Where Spencer, Spencer bought his right. hot tub. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or a used car salesman, or maybe he yeah. sells paper. a
2: PE teacher.
0: Yeah, PE teacher for sure. Yeah. He's got a weirdly long torso, uh, big traps.
3: R- Ryan's <laughs> got some skills though. He's like, uh, out of the ones I saw, he's the one that could be a cartoonist. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Yep. Yes. Uh, okay, next one. Is rich. I'll just go and describe these so we can go quick. It's gonna take okay. Long, so it's take this long. one it really helps. We only have one version that's in color. Spencer's got it. I like the. I think the, 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 co- color. the, color, the color version color speaks a lot. Yeah. It's like mm-hmm. a. It's part illustration, part Photoshop. Phil it looks like a. It's a young Phil with his mustache. It looks a lot like Phil. Uh, he's holding a black cherry, white claw in one hand, a lightsaber in the other, and it appears that he has struck down a turkey with the <laughs> lightsaber. Yeah. Also, it's, it's oh, weird. that's
3: a lightsaber. I thought it was an b- empty bottle of wine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that doesn't say good. That, those are two know. very different things. So. <laughs> it well, say good. I, you can you're... strike
3: down a turkey with both.
0: Yeah. You... <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I like this uh, one. It's very like expressionist right. pastel. Yeah. It's like a painting. Oh. It's it's I I like I like it a lot.
2: Only a lightsaber anyway. would produce like the peacock feathers. Though, yeah. Better. There's yeah. like yeah. Huh? Yep.
0: it's purple background. There's like peacock. Multicolored peacock feathers. There's a butterfly. There's one,
3: one, butterfly,
0: and there's a bunch of fall leaves behind a dead tree, <laughs> which doesn't make sense because you don't. Know,
3: that I'm, one should be framed and go on the wall. I like one. that one a
0: lot. It's a really, it's a good um, one. Uh, I'm not, also holding a white claw. The only problem with it is that it's not natural lime; it's black cherry, but we'll let it slide. <laughs> <laughs> Who's did Did we say who did this one? A B Rich is what it says. Okay, A B Rich. Yeah, Kevin Ryan did this one. This one is the most is the most well done. Artistically, this needs to be framed or this put on a t shirt or a sticker or something. So, this is a similar, it's a young Phil looking nervous. He's wearing like a Elmer Fudd orange hat. He's got skimpy McWeek style. Hold sweaty. on, does Phil look old to you now? No, he looks like a young man.
3: Right. And you keep saying there's young, young, young Phil
0: Phils in these pictures. Well, like, okay, normal Phil. Okay. Actual <laughs> Phil. <laughs> got it. Thanks, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, yeah, for correcting that. <laughs> He's wearing like a green scarf or something, uh, like an ascot, green ascot. He's got a red flannel shirt on and then an a orange hunter safety vest with a natural lime white claw tucked in the pocket. He's holding a shotgun upside down. Sweating nervously. Sweating nervously. He's got a pair of blue jeans on that are ripped intentionally. And then he's wearing a pair of Ugg boots. <laughs> For what reason, <laughs> I'm not sure. Just, it just looks like Phil... If Phil didn't work immediately and wanted to hunt for the first time, this is might how he, he might present himself into the woods. Yeah, more yep. Uggs. Do you wear Uggs, Phil? No, but I'd like to. Okay, and it's really well. <laughs> it's really, really well done. Uh, so that's number three. Number four came in right at the last moment. Also, should probably be framed from Adam Miller. This one is gonna be hard. He has a has an Andy Warhol of Ben's Green Peas. <laughs> Andy Warhol photo of <laughs> yeah, Ben's instead Green of, Peas. Instead in of Campbell's game. soup, they're cans of peas. He's mm-hmm. got a, a framed picture of Mango wearing a Mango white claw shirt. Who's Mango? Mango is Phil's dog. Oh. Okay. Uh, he's got some books on his desk. He's standing behind a desk which is behind a curtain. A, curtain. a lot of these entries included the curtain. Which I loved. In his little cup on his desk has a pencil and a turkey feather, and he has two books on his desk. One is Turkey Tac- Tactics, and one is Weak Stashes for Dummies. So this one is the detail. He's got a blonde, creepy-looking mustache, glasses, looking real nerdy. This is really good and really detailed. Number five is is uh, how to describe it? it is it is perfect. That's uh, <laughs> how I would describe Dave it. Dave Campbell, um, you seem Dave like a, you seem like a nice guy. Uh, I know I said that we don't require a lot of effort with these drawings. Uh, I just want to let you know I did not want to include your entry in the top. It was supposed to be a top five, and Ben made it a top six. It's my Just show. to include Dave Campbell's drawing. This Dave Campbell's drawing show. is perfect. This it's, is the it's, only one that's it's said, made it through. It's, it's, yeah, it's, Seth has perfect. not said
2: we should frame this one.
4: No, yeah.
0: <laughs> Dave Campbell. It. Dave Campbell, what he's done. I think he might have done this just like on his phone. He's he's. It's a line drawing, is what I would say. It's an impressionist, and it's got a circle head. And inside, he's scratched some yellow hair, but you can still see the the circle underneath. He's scratched a blonde mustache with a a wry smile. It's all just lines and a uh, a dick nose and then two eyes that are looking. They seem to follow you wherever you go, like the Mona Lisa. (laughs) Uh, And the dog, he's he's written on here, Phil plus Mango. And then Mango is just a mango's face um, with a beautifully drawn nose and two dots for eyes. Some would say it's crude. I think it is impressionistic. What are, those, are the four marks those, yeah, at the bottom? Was that,
3: was that part of the... No,
0: that was not part of it. That's oh, a okay. mistake to be on there. It wasn't part of the original art.
3: Now, do we know how old Dave is? Because if, if Dave's like five, no. I'm going to give <laughs> him like some, some is real crap. I feel an adult crap. man. Dave an, <laughs> Dave's an adult yeah. man. He's an yeah, adult you, man. You probably don't have many kindergartners that listen to your show. A lot of people
0: did have their kids do it, but they, none of them made it. We do like kids, but uh, they didn't make it. None of them are made you it. sure Dave didn't have his kid do it? No, Dave. Did, did I don't know. Ask I have to go back and read his email, but I think Dave, if my inner child drew Phil, this is what it would look like. It is <laughs> fantastic. It is. It is just beautiful. It Phil sure is so something. Mad about
4: this it. one has led to the most laughs in the office. It's just
0: I, perfect. You, uh, you at one point you described it as something like a like a fingerprint or something. There's just like, it's like there's a, only one of them. There's only one of them. There's can, a, it's a it, snowflake. You could never can, you could never sit down and yeah. do this again. It is beautiful. It's one of a kind. Yeah. You could never sit down and recreate just the subtleties here, the depth. Of and I'm feel. sure people will be able to see these on your Instagram. Yeah, no, I'll share. Okay. But this one is is the best. All right. Uh, an unbiased opinion. Not fair. Patrick Spiker drew Phil riding a deer or elk, some sort of mystical creature that looks like a deer or elk. Hmm. He is dressed like Iron Man and he's carrying a lightsaber. He's wearing a pair of headphones. He looks very weathered. Again, you know, very accurate to what Phil looks like, but in this he looks look a little bit like Kevin Costner, in Open Range. This is an and, older Phil. Yeah, he's, he's seen some shit. Yeah, like he's been there. We're on the eight hundredth episode of THC. Yeah, you yeah you've been you, you've missed a lot of turkeys. Uh, your family <laughs> <Yeah>. is hungry <laughs> and, and you've climbed upon your steed to go out into the wilderness. You yep. have like an Iron Man suit on. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. But this is, it's sort of like a play on Luke on the, I don't know, I can't remember what you call that animal. It's right? called the Tauntaun Yanni. Phil, what's it called? Tauntaun.
0: Yeah, it is kind of like a play on, is this one where you. Wouldn't you say that, Phil? Would you say that's I would. I like a lot like a Star Wars
3: poster that. Didn't the elves
0: in the Lord of the Rings ride something like this? I don't believe so. No, no, I was wrong. Okay. <laughs> they, we'll go back to Taunton. They, they just had normal horses. Is it Taunton? Is it Tong Tong or Taunton? Taunton. Is Taunton the thing? He cut it open and, and crawled inside. Yeah, Han of you. cut well, him, cut it open and put him in there so he wouldn't freeze to death. Okay. All right. Well, here we go. Everybody, shuffle your papers in anticipation. Are we just going to go around the table and say who we're voting for. Yeah, we're going to go around the no table yet. and we're going to say re- who we're voting remember,
3: for. Just remember, I think you have to keep in mind this is supposed to be done off of what Phil's voice, voice. sounds like. Yes.
0: And all so we that gave, should in,
3: that should influence your ch- your. We gave choice. a
0: lot of details as to what I'm torn. So, I'm torn between two between two of them. Okay. I don't know. I need to come to well, a decision.
3: Rip them in half and you can put a half <laughs> of each one in the
0: file. Seth. Number one, Ryan Estrip. Number one, Ryan Estrip. Ryan Estrip. Like, Ryan has one vote. One vote for Ryan. Ryan is the uh like the Dilbert character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, Yanni. I'm going number two. Number two, the uh, abstract. Number two is A B Rich, where Phil has struck the turkey down with his lightsaber in the fall. And there's a or pe- empty wine. A, pee- bottle. a peacock was also <laughs> <laughs> peacock was also hit by a car.
4: <laughs> Joseph, I'm gonna go with number three, Kevin Ryan. Number three,
0: Kevin Ryan. Oh man, the accurate illustration of Phil holding a shotgun upside down with a white claw in his pocket. No, Philip, I'm going middle name Taylor with number two. A.B. Rich. A.B. Rich takes the lead. <laughs> A.B. Rich has the lightsaber struck down the wild bird triumphantly. I'll hold mine till last. Uh, <laughs> ben, ben, ben either wants to, ben wants to be the tiebreaker. Mine vote actually counts for 10. I forgot to tell you guys. <laughs> so go ahead, Spencer. I am
2: voting number three, Kevin Ryan.
0: Oh, oh, man. oh, Ben. All right, well, I will take it upon me to, to break the tie. <laughs> But uh, I am going to personally send my own drawing to Dave Campbell, the guy who drew number five. And I'm going to just as a thank you because I wish he would won, but it's only in my heart that he won.
3: (laughs) So (laughs) you're going to draw a picture of Phil and send it back to him? I'm going to draw
0: a picture of what I think Dave Campbell looks like. (laughs) 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 Send it to him as a thank you. In the style of that one. In the style of this one. (laughs) Uh, Because in my heart it wins. So we're looking at number two and number three. Uh, Phil, insert some sort of drum roll. Got it. Sound effect. All right. So, who picked number two? That was the Yanni and Yanni and myself and Phil. And number three was Spencer and Joe. Uh, both well done. Both uh, mean something to me. It's hard to say. Like Kevin Ryan's, Kevin Ryan's is better illustration. It's the best illustration that we that we received, but it's also creative. And it makes me feel. It makes me feel something. I feel for this character. He's in his Ugg boots. He clearly, his feet probably hurt. He's having really second nervous. thoughts about, about decisions. He's like, I, I shouldn't have here. got these jeans at Kohl's. <laughs> so that makes me feel something. But A.B. Rich, number two, is a triumphant illustration. Phil is hoisting his, his lightsaber into the air as if to say, I've done it. So this also makes me feel something. Um, who wants to try to convince me of their pick? Yanni, you want to try to convince me of A.B. Rich? Oh, man.
3: What can I say? Just sway you. This
0: is for a Tundra 110 um, in a workshop. Well,
3: the fact that Phil feels like A.B. is, you know, a little closer to his own heart, I think that should that should account <laughs> for something.
0: I just, That's uh, true. Listen, I love the creative d- choices in both of them. I, I think A.B., Went outside the box. We didn't receive a single other entry that was in this that included style. like random this like, weird feathers. pastel yeah. painting <laughs> <butterfly>. with. Uh, <laughs> I'm also I'm wearing a gnome packing out a unicorn shirt in this. I don't think we mentioned that. So we got some mediator merch oh, cross. He did put a there. there. Um, I don't know. I like it. I think it's the most uh artistically creative. I, I, hey, before I, we decide stands outside it's the forward pack.
3: thinking too right cause that's, what, mm-hmm. that's your future
0: if I was walking through <laughs> exactly if I was walking through <laughs> if I was walking through a museum and I saw that hanging on the wall I wouldn't think twice I'd be like hmm here's, All right. what, here's hey, what you, you, you stop and here. contemplate exactly this yep. is what A.B. wrote he said clearly my drawing skills can't keep up with my imagination I envisioned Phil with Skimpy McWeek's Sash slaying a turkey with a lightsaber and chugging a white claw wanted to add his dog Mango maybe I'll work on it some more send in a new one maybe um, so it's this is a collaboration of my drawing and cropping and pacing skills I call this masterpiece Phil the White Claw Jetty <laughs> hope this brings you some entertainment and I could win so that's what AB a. B. Rich says let's see if I can see what Kevin Ryan said here I'll have to search into the Phil the engineer uh, he says love the show attaches my submission so he didn't really didn't really go nuts he sent us two actually this is the first one he sent us um, his email is at Kevin Ryan creative. So he's a pro creative. He's a,
1: Hey, here's a simple, but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for from family vacations to their grandkids. Graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. And you can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want. And mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting auraframes.com. That's A U R A frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code Meat Eater because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best selling frame with that code. The code being Meat Eater. Auraframes.com, promo code Meat Eater. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. At O'Reilly Auto Parts, they offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. Man, I'm always swinging through my uh, local O'Reilly Auto Parts to get stuff ranging from car parts and accessories to boat batteries. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. And if you're a do-it-yourselfer and need a specialty tool to finish the job, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and ask about their loaner tool program. Simply pay a refundable deposit and borrow the right tool, then get your deposit back when it's returned. That way you don't have to go buy some you know super expensive thing that you need like once every five years. You just borrow it and get your refund back. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fixed, or quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Lately, I've been telling you guys about Land.com, the site that can help you find that little patch of ground to call your own where you can do All the hunting, fishing, and hanging out with family you want. Land can be a great investment. Getting your own piece of land is something that can both generate income over time and also generate a lot of memories for generations to come. It's an investment you get to use and enjoy and take care of while it works for you. And any good investor will tell you to start investing sooner than later. Well, they've got hundreds of thousands of rural listings from all across America. Land.com can help you find properties for hunting, fishing, a lake house, a hobby Farm, or if you just want to start a rental business slash family compound as a way to better secure future generations, land.com will also help connect you with the right agent that specializes in rural real estate. So, enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space. Creative.
0: You're going to need another drum roll. Okay. <laughs> Second drum roll. Second drum roll. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with number two. A.B. Rich. Oh, A.B. Rich. Congratulations, Congratulations buddy. <laughs> you did it. You, you won. You, fee- you beat over uh, hundreds of people who were Everyone who it submitted, I, it's it's a genuinely uh, flattering thing. Thank you for yes. listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for taking Putting the time. Putting the time in. Thanks for taking the time. Now, we're going to go to a completely unrelated interview with uh, my new friend, Ryan Holiday, of the Daily Stoic. Uh and congratulations to ab rich you're gonna get a tundra 110 you're gonna get a damn work sharp ken onion sharpener thanks everyone for taking part now here's ryan holiday hey ryan how's it going man
7: it's going well thanks for having me
0: so you we were just talking you're in uh beautiful austin texas or just east of austin texas right
7: Correct. Yeah. In, in what they call pine country.
0: Yeah. It is beautiful pine country. Um, we'll have to talk a lot, compare a lot of notes about that. But, um, before we get any further, you were just, before we hit record, you were just talking to me about the virtues of hog hunting or virtues of hunting necessarily. Um, before we explain kind of all the things that you do and your philosophies and all that stuff, just talk to a little bit about what, why you go hog hunting there and then what it means to you.
7: Well, I mean, I think the, the reason you go hog hunting in Texas is because if, if you don't do it, uh, uh, it's a problem, right? You know, it, they're, they're basically just sort of giant destructive rats and, and somebody else already killed all the cougars and the wolves. And so, you know, it's a sort of massively invasive species. So I can see like uh, on the back of my property, like if, if, uh, you know if, if i'm not doing it every once in a while I, I can just see evidence that they've been there they just sort of you know root around and just destroy stuff which is bad for my cows it's bad for you know it's bad to look at and so i just try to try to do it every once in a while i, I have a neighbor near one of my back pastures that raises sort of heritage hogs so she's like a magnet for them because they actually uh you know they'll they'll the wild hogs will come break into her pins like basically rape her hogs and then, and then it, it can ruin like, you know, a whole, uh, you know, uh, sort of breeding cycle of her, of her animals. Cause the, I, like, I guess the half breeds aren't worth anything. So I kind of, I kind of do it obviously just for sort of pure maintenance, sort of conservation purposes. But what, what I've just found is that as, as a writer, it's sort of a, a sedentary, um, profession, but it's also, it's also very mentally intensive, and so, you know, if I was stamp collecting as my hobby, I'd just be thinking about books as I'm collecting stamps or, you know, building model trains. I'd just be thinking about, you know, hunting is so sort of active and it, it forces you to be so present because you're having to sort one, I mean, you're carrying a loaded weapon, which is, you know, uh, a, a, a bit, you know, a bit uh, sobering, but but you, you're having to like be aware and cognizant of so many things that you know, I could leave my house because I I saw something or I decided to go and two or three hours could go by and I'll realize, like, I haven't thought about anything in the three hours, the three hours except, you know, this sort of task at hand. So for me, it's it's just, it's a great hobby that gets me outside and active, but also like sort of forces me to disengage from my work in a really, really important way.
0: Yeah, no. And in the first, we were just also talking about how I came to to read some of your stuff. There's a lot of listeners to our show that that had sent me an article that you wrote for Human Parts, um, entitled "Why Every Liberal Millennial Should Go Hunting for a Day." I like the title. As <laughs> yeah. as a, as a uh, digital journalist myself, we've we've danced around some of the similar titling, but but more of the context of that. You talk about hog hunting, you talk about what it means, and in there you talk about how serious it is and how it makes yeah. you, how it makes you feel just talk a little bit about those those experiences because it's it's interesting
7: you know it's funny so I, obviously I didn't I, I didn't pick the headline they sort of picked the headlines for you yeah. uh, although I don't, I don't mind it but what was interesting about that piece is so I, I wrote I decided I wanted to do a piece about hunting and because uh, my book stillness was coming out and I think there's a and we can talk more about this with it, connection between sort of stillness and hunting and then there's obviously literally still hunting like in a blind yep. which is what that piece was about but I uh, we sent that to the New York Times and they passed on it. We sent it to the USA Today and they passed on it. We sent it to the Atlantic, I think, and they passed on it. Pretty much everyone passed on it. And and my editor uh, at at Portfolio was not particularly pleased with it either. Like it was it was in a way that sort of piece proved itself, which is that everyone everyone was really just like hesitant to touch it because it's it's either so far from their experience or because, you know, the sort of gun control debate has become sort of so vicious and tragic and, you know, sort of no win that like nobody wanted to go anywhere near it. So it's actually, uh, I, I felt lucky that it ever ended up seeing the light of day. It took like two or three months um, before before we ever found a home for it, which I, which I you know, sort of proved my point, but also was a little bit disappointing because I, I wanted it to reach as, as many people as possible. Like my point in the piece was that, like we live in this sort of culture where we, we're trying to make everything black and white. Like everything's like amazing, everything's terrible, you know, everyone's a villain or everyone's a hero. And the reality is like most issues are gray and complicated. And I think, um, and, and they're just like, it's just life, you know, it's like messy and uh, and, and confusing and there's trade-offs and compromises. And, and one of the things I was trying to get in, in you know, across in the piece, aside from I think just the sort of some of the therapeutic and philosophical benefits of hunting, just the idea that like everyone has really strong opinions about this thing, and not enough people actually have done it to ha- to justify said strong opinions. Like, I-, I think when you when you hunt, like you know, there's the rush of it. There's that sort of biological adrenaline rush you get that I think to me proves we we're like sort of made to do this. And then at the same time, when you see an animal dying, there's a sadness or a darkness or a you know a a a sort of a that touches a different place in you, and you realize like these things are really complicated, and that it's not as sort of clean and easy as as maybe we'd like to reduce it to from you know in a in a two hundred and forty character tweet. And so, you know, I I think just what what I I, what I love about hunting is that it's it's complex and it's confusing. It's good and bad. And, and, you know, we should talk about it like adults. Yeah. And there's a lot of
0: – I think w- why a lot of people sent it to me. They're fans of yours. They kind of know what you talk about. They know the philosophies that you push, which I've d- really uh, dove into over the last couple of days, looking at your books and your all your talks and just diving in. I, and I, it's been – I'm a, I'm a stoic now. (laughs) I'll be, I'll be flat honest because a lot of the stuff. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the stuff we talk about on this show crosses over um, with stoicism and we'll get into a lot of about exactly what I'm talking about and what you talk about. But this piece is even more uh, interesting to me now that I know that you got rejected by a bunch of mainstream uh, media outlets. (laughs) (laughs) I think I like it even more. Um, one
7: one of the interesting things about that I sort of talk about in the piece I didn't get get to it as much, but so mostly I write about you know the the Stoic philosophers Marcus Aurelius being the most famous, um, and and so I think you know people who've sort of seen the movie Gladiator go oh I know who Marcus Aurelius is and and you go oh he was the emperor of Rome. What's interesting about Marcus Aurelius is that you know he wasn't his father was an emperor. Um, he was just like a sort of a promising young kid and the Emperor Hadrian sort of notices him and decides uh, that, that you know, maybe this kid has what it takes to be emperor because H- H- Hadrian doesn't have a son. So that this it becomes this complicated process where Hadrian adopts a much older man uh, who's younger than him, who in turn adopts Marcus Aurelius and they sort of groom him to become emperor eventually when he's old enough. But one of the interesting things that I came across in my reading that I, that I sort of hadn't really thought about much before I started hunting was just the idea that Hadrian and Marcus Aurelius would go hunting together. And Marcus talks about boar hunting a, a few different times in his meditations and, and in his letters. And, and it's like, oh man, this idea of like two men going hunting together and it sort of being an opportunity to see what they're made of and an opportunity to teach, you know, lessons and, a, you know, an opportunity to practice courage and patience and also compassion, you know, sort of all the things that hunting brings up, it's like, oh, man, that, that, that this is actually sort of intimately tied with the philosophy that I write about. I, I just thought that was so cool and interesting. Yeah,
0: there's so many crossroads about, you know, this philo- this type of philosophy or this branch of philosophy and then all the things we talk about on this show, and I think all, the, all hunters kind of – Understand, but you you describe that as bursts of courage in that piece, and I found that to be that's something I was like, wow, because hunting does yeah. it. I think the adjective of like bursts describing it is you're sitting around, you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. All of a sudden, you're being made to make a decision that's going to affect the life of another thing, and you have to have yeah. these bursts, these instances of courage and good decision making that that are signs of good leadership or signs of uh, of really being. Ah, uh, someone that can make critical decisions.
7: Yeah, and especially you know back then, uh, even even boar hunting, you know, uh, was considerably more dangerous. First off, these are the 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 boars that are now imported to America, so these are sort of these big either African or European boars, um, and they they would hunt them with nets and spears, sometimes from horseback, sometimes on the ground. So you know, like. To, to, to shoot a hog from 100 a, a yards away with a, a high-powered rifle, you know, there, maybe there's a slight burst of courage there and, and you don't want to get charged. I've, I've been charged by him before, it, you know, but, but to do it on horseback with a net, you know, uh, and, and a spear is just a sort of a whole other level of it. And, and so for the Stoics, you know, hunting and wrestling and boxing and sports, these, these sort of hobbies were also sort of training grounds for the kinds of virtues that you would need in the, you know, in life. And so I I just get the sense that, you know, Hadrian was taking him out to go hunting because it's a fun thing to do, but also because they were trying to, you know, he just wanted to see like, how does this guy respond under pressure? What what, what, What can I teach him through this experience that would, you know, make him the kind of man that he needs to be for what's going to be an you know extremely difficult job.
0: Yeah. And when you talk about it, what you mentioned there, is kind of the we I talk about it all the time the pl- the plurality of hunting. Right. You could be having fun, going out and do something to spend time with people you love, or but you can also be challenging yourself and getting better and doing things that um, require a, a certain type of skill set and knowledge. So you can do both those things at the same time. So it it seems that that goes. A lot farther
7: than the modern hunter yeah yeah of course and 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 you know even that what i what i like is like even an unsuccessful hunt teaches you something if it's just managing disappointment if it's just managing patience if it's just being able to appreciate i think theodore roosevelt writes about this a little bit in, in one of his um in one of his hunting books he's just like like the hunt is the experience like it's like the all the, all the things that hunting provides—that's the reward. And then it's like, if you get something, that's that's the extra. But but it's easy to sort of miss that.
0: Yeah, I mean the, the famous quote from Jose E. Gasset that's talking about hunting is: "We don't hunt to have killed; we kill in order to have hunted." And and that's those it's those philosophies. Like it's about the experience. Sure. And we could spin all of that to to what you do and what you've done. And I, like I said, I've been reading your books and watching some of your your talks, and really diving into to what this philosophy that you've kind of brought to life in a modern sense. Um, and it's incredibly interesting. Oh, thanks. And you start off you start off by in one of your talks by talking about what philosophy was and is and could be. Um, you say philosophy has been a, the guide to the good life.
7: Yeah, yeah. Can you talk we- a
0: little bit about what how you've come to understand that statement?
7: Well, yeah, like I, I imagine some of your listeners are probably just even hearing like philosophy and hunting and feel like that's like a contradiction, right? They're like, good. The idea that's, that's, that, what,
0: that's what this show's about. So they're
7: good. <laughs> they're no, no, w- they're well trained. You know yeah, I, mean? I know just, what you mean. Just like the philosophers and hunting don't feel like they go together because, like, yeah. when we think philosopher, we think like turtleneck university professor, you know, sort of like bleeding heart liberal, uh, you know, obsessed with ideas and abstractions and theories, you don't necessarily think like real people in the real world, which for most of, you know, ancient history is the opposite of what philosophy is. Like, you know, Socrates, the most famous, probably philosopher of of the ancient world, was was a soldier, you know, never wrote anything down, didn't teach classes. He was a philosopher because of what he walked around and did and because of the questions he asked people. And then ultimately, like his his the way he faced, you know, death, that, that was like sort of what made him the philosopher that endured for all time. Cato, who's another sort of famous Roman, again, doesn't write anything down. He's a philosopher because, you know, of, of the, the standards that he held himself to, the, the things that he did, the way that he lived, and Marcus Aurelius being the same thing. So for me, what, what philosophy is, the philosophy I kind of try to write about, Marcus Aurelius has a good quote. He says, you know, no role is so well-suited to philosophy than the one you happen to be in right now. And I think he means whether you're the emperor or a slave or, you know, living in a trailer or living in, the, you know, a mansion, like philosophy is is the guide to being the best version of yourself. And, and so if we can see philosophy then not as a sort of complicated explanation for the universe, but instead like, you know, sort of tips and tricks for, for being a good person, for managing your temper, for finding happiness, for getting over grief, you know, for, for all the things that human beings have to do, um, I think it, it not only becomes much more practical, but it becomes, much more accessible and applicable to, to, to everyday people.
0: Yeah. And you have a really great Thoreau quote in there about this, um, that talks about, yeah, you know, I'll just read it. To be a philosopher is not merely to have subtle thoughts, nor even to have found a school. It is to solve some of the problems of life, not only theoretically, but practically. And I read that. I'm like, yeah, Exactly. Yeah, exactly. and, and
7: look, we can imagine Thoreau in that cabin. I, I, I think he was a vegetarian, so I, I you know, I don't want to like sort of project hunting onto him. But you know, he's he's out in the woods, you know, experiencing life in a sort of honest and raw form. Like to him, this is what philosophy is. It's not you know it's it's not debating you know like right now like the big sort of philosophical question you'll hear people talk about is they'll go like how do we know we're not living in a computer simulation or they'll talk about the trolley problem you know there's so sort of these interesting philosophical puzzles but you're like what the fuck am i supposed to do with this do you know what i mean like this doesn't tell me what to do and i think that's what actually philosophy is is there to to guide us around it's like what do you do
0: yeah that's a great that's it's a profound point and we've talked on this show about hunting ethics, a lot, and and I think that what you just said is the big critique of talking about hunting ethics. It isn't, it isn't a rule. It's just a way to act, a way to aspire, a way to understand kind of how you move through this thing where you're taking another thing's life. Um, and so the the critique is just what you said: is hunting ethics is just these ideas that never get anywhere, these questions that don't have answers. But um, what struck me about what you say and what Stoicism says is that you can be, you can use those as, as kind of ways to shape how you act and, and what you aspire to be, which which I think brings it full circle.
7: Yeah, like the, the sort of four, vir- so, so instead of there being like, you know, 10 commandments of Stoicism or like, this is allowed, but this isn't allowed, you know, th- there's no Bible of Stoicism. There's really just like a bunch of people who are sort of talking and, and then also living by example. But the sort of four virtues of Stoicism, you know, and I I think they they connect really well with with hunting. The the four virtues are courage, uh, moderation or temperance, um, justice, and wisdom. So it's sort of like, you know, it's bravery, it's, you know, being sort of ethical and fair and just, it's, you know, sort of finding balance, not taking more than your share. And then then finally, it's sort of integrating this into sort of wisdom and knowledge and and education and, and like, the, those sort of four ideas are kind of always in a tension or a balance with each other because, you know, sometimes yes, courage is great, but courage, you know, aimed at the wrong goal is is not very wise, and it's not very admirable, right? Or or sort of courage taken to excess, so taken out of moderation, suddenly you know becomes you know, not, again, not wise and and not fair. So it's, those sort of four things are what the sort of Stoics are trying to think about and balance always.
0: Yeah. And in, in some of my readings about in your book, and then just poking around about Stoicism, it's, you know, we're social beings and the path to happiness is found in these accepting the moments as they come, right? The accepting what happens to us, Understanding that while there is randomness and things, existential things we can't control or external things we can't control, accept them and move through them. And that's what, that's a huge part of this. And that's hunting.
7: Totally. Yeah. The, so Epictetus, it was a slave. So you have Marcus Aurelius, you have the emperor, you have Epictetus a slave, sort of two big figures. But Epictetus goes like, look, the first thing we have to do in life is like, what's up to us? What's not up to us? And so for the Stoic, it's, it's kind of this idea of like, oh, look, I don't control a lot of what happens but I do control how I respond. And so the decision to focus on how I respond, thats not really being reactive. I think that's too simple. But it's the idea is like, I'm not going to spend a lot of time wishing things were otherwise. I'm definitely not going to waste any time complaining. I'm just going to focus always on what I can do. Like what's up to me um, is, is again, I think just a much better way to go through life. And it's a very practical way to go through life.
0: Yeah, and in reading a lot of this, there is a, a direct connection between Stoicism and, and viewing the natural world. We talk about that a lot here about how hunting and going outside helps us understand the natural world. And we can have a better view of it and a better understanding. We can value it in a real way. Um, and I kept running to, running into that as I'm reading your stuff and, and thinking about the connections here. Um, talk about how, how the natural world kind of connects to Stoicism
7: well so one one of my favorite quotes from from Seneca and I think this is sort of a, a sort of a critical part of stoicism you know he says you know all the world is a temple of the gods and so it it's you know seeing sort of nature as this kind of majestic um, magical thing that that sort of inherently humbles you I think is really important so you know I think part of what the Stoics are focusing on is is, is sort of, not deluding yourself about where you exist inside the universe you know that 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 we are very small things and yet um we are also part of something larger at the same time you know so marcus really talks a lot about sort of looking up at the stars and sort of imagining yourself as like you know sort of part of this giant cosmos which we are i think for me when i when i go outside whether it's hunting or the you know the sort of walk i take with my kids every morning it it there's just something sort of reassuring and comforting, but also inspiring and humbling all at the same time from, you know, watching a sunrise or watching a sunset or, you know, looking at an old growth forest or whatever it happens to be. It's, it's sort of finding that connection to nature as, as sort of a, a critical philosophical exercise.
0: No, that's, that's, that's great. And you just, just mentioned you take a walk with your kids every morning. Can you tell us a little bit about that or what that, what's the, what's the meaning?
7: So every morning, so like this morning, um, we woke up around six thirty. you know, my wife wakes me up, she hands me both kids and she basically says like, get out of here. Uh, <laughs> and then, how that feels. And then she, she catches up on, on sleep. So we, we, we live, we spend most of our time out in the country. So we sort of, we're on this dirt road and we just go up and down the dirt road. I usually carry one in the sort of baby uh, carrier and then the others in the stroller. And we, and we, we walk, we'll do sometimes, you know, as many as three or four miles. I don't take a phone with me. It's, it's, it's just it's it's just the walk you know um and and it's it's being outside you know this morning we we watched some deer we saw a rabbit you know my my kids love it it's fun and exciting and and we we watched the sun come up you know when we leave the house it's it's sort of still a little bit dark and by the time we come home and are ready for breakfast it's um you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's bright and, and, and nice out. Although I, I will tell you, so a couple, couple weeks ago, I was walking down uh, the, one of the dirt roads near the back of my property. And I could see on my, on my neighbor's property that she had a, a that there was a, a big thing, a, a hogs back there. And I actually had my phone on me that morning because I we, we was expecting something. And so I texted her, I was like, Hey, like you have a bunch of hogs back here. Um and she was like, please, like you know, take take care of it if you can. And so I was like, you know, a mile and a half from my house at this point, and obviously do not take a rifle with me on a walk with children. <laughs> so um, it was like, how quickly could I get back to the house? You know, so it takes about 10, 15 minutes to get back to the house. Um, drive like I basically returned the favor to my wife. I'm like, here, you take them. Uh, I grabbed my 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 deer rifle. I threw it in the you know the front seat of the car. I drove as close as i could because it's sort of back in this thing uh as close as i could i start shimmying under a barbed wire fence um this lady's mom uh, who has a house on the property she she freaks out because she sees someone like going through her fence with a rifle so i have to reassure her that i'm not like about to come and murder her um and then uh I, i start tracking tracking these hogs and i i probably follow them back like a mile i have to go under a couple other fences uh and then, and then I, I got a, a decent size one, maybe like 200 pounds. Um, and then it was like, uh, you know, cause it's a hog in this case and it, it was too far from my property. I was like, you know, this, this one's just for the birds, but, uh, but you know, it was like, it was so weird getting back to my house being like, was this really like my, my morning? Like, you know, I grew up in the Southern, in the suburbs of California, like did not go hunting as a kid. Like did, did did not even really imagine that I would ever have kids so the idea that like you know flash forward now and I'm I'm walking my kids and having to take a break from it to go hog hunting in the middle of the country like it was sort of one of those moments where you're like I guess this is my life now uh but uh but you know it's it's just one of those experiences and like I was saying it's like that that was one of the most engaged mornings that I've had in a long time. And, and you know, the the sort of rush and then also sort of focus and presence that I brought, you know, to my work when I sat down to write later that morning was like, uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was a great place to come from.
0: Yeah, it's good to be able to recognize that, right, in yourself. Um, I imagine with what you've done and the things you've studied, you're able to see kind of, what value things bring to your life and to your professional work and to your family life and then apply it, uh, in a really yeah. efficient way. It
7: sounds like you do. Yeah. I mean, every time, every time I, I hunt, I think if you've probably read Zen and the art of archery. Yep. You know, I, I like, I'm thinking it's like, Oh, this, you know, when he talks about sort of, um, you know, letting, letting the arrow fly sort of from, uh, you know, it's, it's like, it's like uh, like ripe fruit falling from the, from the tree. Um, You know, like so it's you read something that's sort of philosophical or abstract, but then you get opportunities to apply it. And so, you know, it's it's I think one of the one of the things I've taken from hunting that's been good for me in the rest of my life is going like, okay. so you get that surge of adrenaline. You know, you get that rush. You you see it. You know, you're you, you can you can get it. You're a little nervous or shaking even. And and the idea that like, okay, this is what my body is doing. But now my mind and my training have to take over and I have to I have to compensate for this sort of surge and I have to adjust for it or I'm not going to be able to do what I need to do here. That, to me, like that's really one of the sort of core elements of stoicism. They're like, look, no amount of no amount of training takes away the fact that you'll feel cold or you'll feel tired or you'll feel scared or any of the sort of biological or hormonal reactions we have but your training does put you in a position to not be ruled by those things you know to be able to sort of uh compensate for them or anticipate for them or adjust for them and so every time i go hunting to me it's just like yeah can can i can i calm myself down here in the moment can i not get excited cuz getting excited doesn't you know make this hard thing i'm about to do easier you know how can i how can i get into a place where there you know, there's this idea when you hear that word stoic that it means like has no emotions. That's actually not what stoicism is about at all. It's it's really, they say, sort of the domestication of our emotions. It's the control of our emotions in situations where we need that control. That's like what we're trying to work towards as a as a hunter or as a philosopher.
0: Yeah. That's great. I mean and there's so many connections, like I said, the the hog hunting connection in Marcus Aurelius is is I think a very timely one and connects all these things together, but we should go back and, and talk about how you discovered this and what it, sure. how it changed your life. And I've heard you tell this story. You were 19 years old. One thing that was really interesting to me was that was the idea of a quake book. Cause I have my own quake yep. book and we've talked about that idea without uh, saying that term. So can you give people, take everybody back before you knew much about this and how it was introduced to you. You're 19 years old.
7: Yeah, I was. I was 19, and I was. Uh, I was in college. I was writing for the college newspaper, and I got invited to this conference in Los Angeles, and and Dr. Drew, the the radio host uh, and and TV personality, was there. And I remember I I loved Love Line growing up. I would you know I'd listen to it every night from ten to midnight on the West Coast uh, from probably middle school on. I'm not sure my parents knew that I was listening to it, but I definitely was. <laughs> Me too. And and, and so I re- I remembered that Dr. Drew was always kind of like talking about books that he read, and he just he seemed like a really smart person. And so after the event, I just said, Hey, you know, i just curious, like what what books are you reading? Are you reading anything interesting? And and he recommended Epictetus. He also recommended. Um, Edmund Morris's biography of Theodore Roosevelt, uh, The Rise of Theodore Roosevelt, which is like an incredible book that I also really recommend. But I I went back to my hotel, I bought Epictetus, I bought Marcus Aurelius, and I bought this Theodore Roosevelt book. And they, they, you know, they came a few, you know, weeks later, days later, I forget what it was. And, and, Yeah, this term quake book comes from the economist Tyler Cowen. He says, like, you know, sometimes you read a book and it just sort of shakes you like an earthquake. It just like, you know, sort of tosses you sideways. And and that's what that's what reading Marcus Aurelius was for me. It was just like, holy shit. You know, this is not what I thought philosophy was. This is the kind of advice that I always wanted to get from my dad. You know, this is the kind of advice that I wanted to get from anyone, any adult figure in my life. Um, but I, I just never gotten. And and so, yeah, it, it totally it, it you know, it, it was I think a couple of things. It was the decision to ask for recommendation. It was the decision to actually read said book and which, you know, a lot of people I get emails all the time. People like, oh, you know, what book do you recommend? you know, probably only 10% of the time do I ever hear from those people that they, you know, they took the time to read the book. Um, but taking the time to read the book, and then just sort of right place, right time, it was just everything, you know, that I needed. And and I actually, I saw Dr. Drew in Los Angeles last week, it's been this sort of incredible sort of blessing of, of my career that I you know, sort of got to become friends after the fact with the person who, you know, this chance encounter ended up changing, changing my life. But I think everyone can think of books that they've read that they, they were not the same person when they finished it as they were when they started. I think the problem is those books are really rare and we don't kind of actively seek them out when we should be.
0: Yeah. We talk about that here. The book for me, that book for me was, um, Aldo Leopold's, San Sand County Almanac. And there's a lot of us in our office. Oh, so we like, that pass that along. Um, it's a, it's a, just a wonderful thing it's thinking about the natural world thinking about conservation. Um, our founder Steve Ranella, said that to me sitting on top of a ridge looking at black-tailed deer in, in Alaska. He said you you find these things. He said, you know, he said something to me like read the entire works of Cormac McCarthy and read the entire works of Audreopold and you will find something about yourself that you didn't know. Um and when I was was listening to you tell that story, I was thinking of that moment in my life like man, this is if we could if, if your work, which I think your work does, at least did for me a little bit, like it starts to steer your way of thinking in a positive direction, you know, at least in a, in a critical direction, um, that those could be important moments of life. So that could be a podcast or a book or a, a, your newsletter or what it might be. But it's a, it's a pretty beautiful thing to, to be able to recognize that and then go forward and, and try to get that for people.
7: Yeah. And I mean, sort of ever since that, I think one of, one of the reasons people don't read enough is like, I think they haven't, they they don't quite understand the ROI. So like, you know, teachers, you know, they're like, you should read because that's what smart people do. What they, what they do, what they should be saying is like, you know, they should be thinking individually, like, what's a book that will really impact this person? So then they walk away, you know, sort of having been shown rather than told, you know, the sort of power of, a book or a page or a sentence. I mean, I remember when I was reading Steve's book, uh, American Buffalo, like I probably think like once a month about a passage in that book, you know, he's, he's like walking through uh, wherever, wherever he is. And he comes across some like old Buffalo uh, skull or some animal skull and he picks it up and he sort of holds it. And he just starts, he's like, how old is this? You know, I think it was like fossilized or something. He's like, you know, this is like a thousand years old or something. And And he's like, you know, who is the person that shot this? You know, who is the person that held this? And he's like, what was going through that person's mind? You know, he's like, I think he says, like, what were their thoughts about God? You know, and just the idea that, and this is a very stoic concept that like human beings are human beings and have been more or less the same way for all of history and that we are connected with those people; that we're the descendants of those people. To me, is like a, a deeply philosophical and life-changing insight. That you know, when when I heard for the first time, it, it sort of it it shook me a little bit, or it changed what I what I thought. And and then it's it's about not just. And I think this is something people do wrong with reading: is they'll read a book one time, like oh yeah, it was pretty good, but it's actually the process of reading and rereading and dipping in and out and applying and coming back to it and. You know, over and over again, that's what produces the change. Like you've probably read Sand County Almanac like a bunch of times, yeah. right?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. There's a couple of books I read every year, and and um, I find different things in them every year. And it's there's so many moments in each one of these. There are these words that are used to construct these ideas, there's so many moments, if you break them down, they're endless.
7: Yeah, and, then, and, and that's something Marcus Ruiz talks about in Meditations, he goes, and he, he's quoting Heraclitus, who's a sort of myth, mystic poet, but he, he you know, is like, no man steps in the same river twice, you know, the idea that like the river is changing and you are changing, and I think that's one of the beautiful things about books is like, you know, I've, I've read Epictetus, I was just this morning working on a passage from Epictetus that, you know, I I had someone send to me, I was like, hey, doesn't Epictetus say something about some, you know, whatever? And, and you know, someone on my team sent it to me and I was sort of digging in on it. And it's like, I read this passage shortly after the conversation that you and I are talking about, um, you know, so like almost 15 years ago now. And um, and yet here I am still getting something new and different out of a passage I've probably seen 20 times since then, because I'm different and what I'm thinking about this morning or what I need this morning is different. And, and so, yeah, I think rereading things every year or, you know, randomly flipping through things, I think is really important to me. This, it's also why I'm a big sort of believer in a physical library. I'm in the, I just moved offices. So all my books are kind of laid out and just like, you know, the touching and the being able to go through to random pages or pages that you, you folded down is like a really important way of, interacting and re-interacting with the material and you never know what you'll get out of that
0: yeah it's funny you, you talk about steve's book american buffalo because i had read it multiple times and then hadn't read it in some years i mean i work with the guy we talk where we see each other all the time but um he recently went back and re and did the the audiobook and it to because he loves it to be his voice so i went back and listened to that and he starts talking about civiliz- civilization as a mechanism for us to avoid some of the ugly aspects of life in that book. And that was a moment where, like, man, I haven't – when I remember the first couple times I read this, I didn't pick up on this. This wasn't something that was messaged to me through that. But for some reason, listening to the audiobook, maybe I was present in that moment where I wasn't at, at other times. But it, it struck me. So it's – I think for all you guys out there that are reading – we talk about a lot of books here. Uh, we got a book club that we're starting right now. That's the thing. The, this idea of a quake book. When I ran into it in, in one of your talks, um, I wrote that down in huge. I just took a sharpie and wrote that down on a piece of paper in huge capital letters. That I. I that's it's a great idea and something you can really grab onto.
7: Yeah, yeah, and I think I think that's one of the things that Stokes talked about. They're like, you know, you should linger. He says you should linger on a small number of master thinkers. So that's the other thing is people, and I love reading and I read a lot, but but people read probably too many books as opposed to reading the right books the right number of times. And so yeah, really picking like some sort of life-defining, philosophy-defining sort of text for you and becoming kind of intimately acquainted with them, I think is, is, is that to me sort of a, a better path to wisdom than just like, trying to ingest as much trivia as possible.
0: Yeah. And I think what you're, what you've done in your life and, you know, after I didn't know it was Dr. Drew, which I think that's a funny kind of turn. Isn't that hilarious? I I did not, I wouldn't have expected that. I watched love line when I was, was around that age, man. And I I would never expected that to be the guy that you met that kind of changed things for you. But that's, that's an interesting anecdote that when you turn, then you drop out of college. Um, and you kind of start on this journey to where you are now. What are those, what's that moment when you drop out? You, uh, you were an apprentice for a guy named Robert Green. So there's, there's this moment where you kind of take a different path. Like, describe how that, how that started and then what it became.
7: Yeah, the, the, the question for me, I, I basically had a job uh, at, a, at a talent agency in Hollywood that I got over the summer between my sophomore and junior years of college. And then also I would met Robert Crean, who's, I think, one of the, the best living writers of our time. He wrote The 48 Laws of Power. Um, I had this job, you know, working with both of them. And, and it struck me that it was sort of like, if this is what I had when I graduated from college, I would definitely consider college a huge success and so, you know, the 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 question for me was: Am I going to quit both these things to go back to school, which is what I've the choice I was faced with, or am I going to quit school and go do these things? And so, for me, it was kind of a choice of like, hey, am I going to study or am I going to do? You know, and where am I going to learn more? Like in the real world, having experiences, or am I going to learn more in a classroom from people who? Who even the teachers haven't had some of these experiences that I was being offered. So, you know, it was terrifying. You know, my parents were not pleased. You know, it definitely strained our relationship for quite some time. But, but I can trace most of the success I've had in my life back to the, you know, the decision to take that risk. And so, yeah, earlier we were talking about sort of bursts of courage. You know, like I made the leap, and then like immediately regretted it. It looked like uh, you know, a bunch of stuff happened. It, it did not go well. It was sort of that thing in arrested development where it's like, you know, I think I've made a huge mistake. Um, you know, I, I was pretty convinced like my life was over and it wasn't gonna work out and, you know, I was an idiot and, you know, why did I quit this good thing I had? But then over over time, you know, it turned out to be be the right thing. And so yeah, we need, you know, we we need the courage to to sometimes jump off you know, jump off the cliff a little bit and, and be willing to, to try different things. Um, I think, you know, at 20 years old, the idea that, like, you could go back to school and that, you know, losing a year was not a big deal, you know, I, did, I didn't have the, the experience to really understand that. In retrospect, it feels a little bit silly. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely one of, the, one of the better decisions I've made.
0: Yeah, that as a, a father of, of two young boys... Myself, I think about that. Like, that, dude, there is no pre... You can't be preordained. You don't have to do this, then this, then this, then this. You can you can choose your own path. And I think be, before you even were understanding that you could... You, I mean, you've written 10 books. You've, t- you've, I think, taught a lot of people about how to deal with life. Before you did all that, you were... You kind of chose your own path and, <laughs> and had a bunch of obstacles that you had to kick through. Is there... You know, before you wrote The Obstacle is the Way, is is there a moment that you... You think of that you overcame that was important?
7: You know, it, no, not really. I mean, I, I feel very blessed not to have, you know, one of those like, hey, you know, for me, the obstacle was cancer. For, you know, for me, the obstacle was, you know, being born to a, you know, a single mother in poverty as a minority. Like, I, that that's not the obstacles that I faced in my life. That, you know, very, very, very blessed to be able to say that. I think what, what I wanted to talk about as far as obstacles, and I think this is this is the stoic sort of take on it, is that, you know, every day shit goes wrong, right? Like, the, the Murphy's Law is very real. What, however we want things to be, whatever it would be better, however better it would be, you know, whatever the logical, easiest, simplest way for things to be, that's not really how things shake out. In fact you know, life is an unending series of problems that we have to solve. And so when Marcus Aurelius says, you know, he says the impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. That's sort of the, the quote that I built the obstacles the way around. And actually what's funny, there's a Zen quote, also the obstacle is the path. But, but it's, it's, it's this idea that the Stoics are saying like, look, situations are not gonna be the way you want them to be or how you plan them to be. But they still, each time that happens, are presenting you with an opportunity to practice excellence. Uh, the 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 word erite means excellence, a sort of a moral excellence, but also just excellence. Period. How can you practice excellence? That's that's what I try to do. So whether it's you know something that goes wrong in my business, whether it's you know my computer eating my manuscript, whether it's getting stuck in traffic, or whether it's you know, a toddler that doesn't sleep. Like, how do you respond to, you know, just the difficulties of life? To me, that's what the book is about.
1: Hey, here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for, from family vacations to... Their grandkids' graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. You can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want. And mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting auraframes.com. That's A U R A frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code Meat Eater because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best selling frame with that code. The code being Meat Eater. Auraframes.com, promo code Meat Eater. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. At O'Reilly Auto Parts, they offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. Man, I'm always swinging through my uh, local O'Reilly Auto Parts to get stuff ranging from car parts and accessories to boat batteries. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. And if you're a do-it-yourselfer and need a specialty tool to finish the job, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and ask about their loaner tool program. Simply pay a refundable deposit and borrow the right tool, then get your deposit back when it's returned. That way you don't have to go buy some you know super expensive thing that you need like once every five years. You just borrow it and get your refund back. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fixed, or quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Lately, I've been telling you guys about Land.com, the site that can help you find that little patch of ground to call your own where you can do all the hunting, fishing, hanging out with family you want. Land can be a great investment. Getting your own piece of land is something that can both generate income over time and also generate a lot of memories for generations to come. It's an investment you get to use and enjoy and take care of while it works for you. And any good investor will tell you to start investing sooner than later. Well, they've got hundreds of thousands of rural listings from all across America. Land.com can help you find properties for hunting, fishing, a lake house, a hobby farm, or if you just want to start a rental business slash family compound as a way to better secure future generations. Land.com will also help connect you with the right agent that specializes in rural real estate. So enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space.
0: And there's, there's disciplines in Stoicism. You talk about this, Stoicism. You talk about this a lot. Um, and I think it, it'd be helpful for people to, to hear you. I know you've probably done this a million times, but here you go through these three disciplines and kind of what they mean in a tangible form as you move through life and how you use them and how others might use them. Um, no, look, no, no,
7: nothing pleases me more than to talk about this stuff because I feel like I'm paying it forward. And, and then also, like it's just endlessly fascinating So I'll give sort of one quote that sort of sums up stoicism. Marcus Really says, objective judgment now at this very moment, that's all you need. Um, He says, unselfish action now at this very moment, that's all you need. And then he says, willing acceptance now at this very moment of all external events, that's all you need. And so those are the three disciplines of of stoicism, the discipline of perception. So that's the decision for how you're going to look at things. That's, you know, deciding to see things as, objective rather than positive or negative and then unselfish action. So that's where courage comes through. That's where creativity comes through. That's where sort of determination and, 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 uh, you know, sort of the act you have to, you have to do things, you know, stoicism is not the secret. You know, you can't just wish things into reality. You gotta make, you gotta make choices. You gotta, the rubber's gotta meet the road. And then the final discipline of stoicism is the discipline of the will. And that's, that's how we deal with those things that kind of like break our hearts that, you know, kick our ass that are that are just, you know, like the real the real tough shit in life. And and so the Stoke is kind of trying to cultivate what they call an inner citadel, kind of like a fortress that can't be penetrated by external events. So it's, you know, you wake up and you find you find that you made a million dollars doesn't change you. You know, you find out you woke up and, you know, all your money's been stolen same thing like i'm me uh external things don't change me i got shit to do i'm going to focus on the you know the task at hand so so that idea of objective judgment unselfish action and then sort of acceptance or a love of the things that happens that's that's those are the three disciplines of of the philosophy and that and then each the way the obstacles the way is is spread out is is along the the lines of those three disciplines
0: yeah, there, I read something around the third one, will, and it talked about like an individual's ethical, moral, you know, well-being, how you feel. Yeah. And it, and it said virtue consists in a will that is in agreement with nature. And we go back to what we talked about earlier, how nature's kind of continually comes up in this work. Can you kind of walk
7: through that, where that virtue lives? Yeah, so that idea of agreement with nature is, is kind of, it's it is, it's weirdly kind of accepting that powerlessness over you know what happened so for the stoics that like, they had this idea they said like man is a dog tied to a cart you know that like like we're small we're powerless we're being uh, like the cart is going in the direction that it's going in and but we have a choice like is the dog gonna lay down and be dragged you know is the dog gonna is the dog gonna whine you know or is the dog gonna sort of cheerfully trot alongside Right? That, 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 so, so, when we talk about agreement with nature, what we mean is like what will be, will be, but then we decide what our response to that is, what sort of disposition we're going to bring to that. And, and, and so, one of, I think one of the most powerful Stoic concepts, I actually keep a coin in my pocket that, that has this Latin phrase on it, amor fati, which means like a love of fate. So, for the Stoics, the, the idea was like, you just embrace what life throws at you. You go like, like, you know, you're hunting and it starts to rain. You don't go, Oh man, fucking don't want it to rain. This is the worst. It's not supposed to rain. You go, yes. Like it's raining. Awesome. Right. Like you're, you, you just, you just embrace it. Um, you know, like the, the Marine Corps thing sort of embrace the suck. Um, uh, you know, you're, you're just like, look, complaining doesn't make it better so i'm going to embrace it that that's the reality of of what we do and so the the image for marcus real is he goes like anything you throw in front of a fire becomes fuel for the fire He says like you know fire turns everything into flame and brightness that when we when we talk about sort of living in accordance with nature we talk about will that's what we're saying we're saying that like this is this is the hand i'm dealt i'm not going to waste time wishing for a different hand. I'm going to play this hand as best I possibly can.
0: Yeah. And in, in, in the obstacle is the way you, you have a bunch of examples, which I think are important over time to to see how successful people have applied this, Um, you know, Rockefeller, Steve Jobs, continue going on and on. Is there one of those that you think the most about or one you want to kind of just tell people about here?
7: Yeah, I mean my favorite story in the book, it's probably the most popular one. And I was just reading about it again, you know, to go to our point about like sort of different you respond to different things different ways. I tell this story towards the end in the Will chapter about Thomas Edison, and you know, he's he's kind of America's most famous inventor at this time. And and his factory catches on fire. And and you know, Edison walks to the factory and he finds his son is like standing there shell-shocked. And Edison grabs him and he goes, um, uh, go get your mother and all her friends. They'll they'll never see a fire like this again. Yeah. By far, my favorite part of the book yeah. is that moment. And, you're like, yes. And I was I was just reading about it. Like, um, apparently he, you know, the poem "If," the Richard Kipling poem. Um, he, he uh, do you know that poem by chance? I've not read that one. No. Oh, dude, dude, you I'll are writing it down, dude. Your, I'm making. You're gonna I'm making lose notes. your shit when you read this poem. <laughs> it's like it's it's even if if for everyone listening, even if you hate poetry, um, even if you never read a poem in your life, like this, this poem is like, first off, it's amazing. It's also like, you could just read it to your kids as like a story. It's, it's, it's got so much life lesson in it. But anyways, uh, Edison is like reciting this poem to himself. You know, someone goes like, um, you know, Edison, you're ruined. And he says, yeah, we sure lost a lot of money tonight. Didn't we? He's like laughing about it. Um, And then he writes a statement to reporters because Edison's deaf. So he has trouble talking. Um, And he says, uh, um, you know, like, look, I've been through things like this before. He's like, at at the very least, it prevents a man from getting bored. And kind of the third act of Edison's life is like rebuilding from this. You know, he, he doesn't complain. He doesn't cry. He doesn't blame. You know, he doesn't beat himself up for, you know, only partially insuring the buildings because none of that makes it any better. Right. All, all he can really do is focus on what he's going to do in response to what's happened. And and I think he does, you know, as, as good as he can. I, I, again, I was just reading like apparently Tesla – uh, shortly after had gone through a similar thing. And, you know, there's this scene of, like, Tesla sort of walking through the ruins of his of his factory, just, just like, weeping. And, you know, I think the contrast of those two responses, it's like, who do you want to be and which one is going to go on to accomplish more things? It's like the one who, you know, who, who can't be destroyed.
0: Yeah, that's... I think like you think. I, I, I've had... I don't want to say a privileged existence, but there's been times where to have the experiences you're talking about, I've had to kind of manufacture it. And the way that I've manufactured is through hunting. Um, You know, I've climbed some of the tallest mountains in Nepal, in New Zealand. These are things that I'm not a physically um, strong person. I was never really great at sports, but it's like, man, if I'm going to do this, I got to commit to it. And every time it looks like I can't, I'm going to just keep going. And I've been... I would say I've had to manufacture those moments because I haven't had divorced parents or I haven't had, I haven't gotten fired from any jobs or, you know, found myself on the street or addicted to drugs. I mean, none of that has happened to me. Right. And so honey has been a great way to manufacture that. Is that something that you think of, like ways to manufacture um, these totally. challenges?
7: And, and to- Totally. And, and so the, the Stoics, they talk about, they call it hard winter's training you know like what training are you undergoing so for the stoics it was like you know they would practice poverty or they'd sleep on a hard mattress or you know they 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 they'd practice fasting they 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 were trying to toughen themselves up cuz they wanted to be prepared for what life could could throw at you i think look no one should like ideally no one should ever have to go through those things you mentioned no one should have to be born to single parents no one should be born to um you know, poverty, no one should be born to disabilities, everyone should be treated equal. It'd be wonderful if, if life was all sunshine and kittens, but it's not. And so how can we, and, and nor should we have to seek out darkness, but how can we actively toughen ourselves up for the reality of what life has in store for us? And yeah, I think hunting is a way to do that, to go back to Marcus Aurelius. Also, what I love about the Stoics is just how much they talk about sports. You know, the, the, the Stoics practiced, uh, Pancration, which is sort of an early predecessor of what we now call mixed martial arts. But the idea of sort of wrestling and boxing, you know, there, there was a stoic who was a long distance runner. Like, for me, every day I run or swim. And it's it's that, that challenging and pushing past my, my resistance, pushing past when my mind wants me to stop. Not only is it, I think it's obviously, you know, good to be in shape and to burn calories and to get outside. But it's also just practicing this idea of like, hey, when my mind or when my body wants to quit, I have the power in my mind to go like, no, we're gonna keep going. Cause you, you're gonna need that in life. You need that when you're writing a book, you need it when you're starting a company, you need it when you you know you have a, an infant who won't sleep, you know, you need it when you when you lose one of your parents or somebody you love. Like, like life's gonna kick your ass. You gotta have cultivated the ability to go like, I'm going to keep going. I don't quit. Yeah,
0: and we had a, a couple of episodes ago, we had a, a philosopher out of Cornell by the name of James Tantillo. And he and a lot of things that you're saying connect. I didn't know this before I started reading your stuff, but it connects. We started talking about hunting as an art, as a serious art. Um, and some of Joyce Carol Oates speaks of, he was explaining to me how she speaks of the awareness of life's the, the tragic ambiguity of life that serious art provides. Sure. Boxing was her example, but hunting was an example that he made the connection. as well. So we talked about that. There's tragic knowledge within hunting. There's all these things that you can get if you're looking for them. They're all thrown into this moral, ethical mix um, that are there for you if you want them. You don't have to take part. You can go out, have a good time with your family, kill an animal, eat it, think about this, don't reflect on it at all, but if you want to, it's there for you. Um, and that's something that stoicism... And Stoicism uses the term eudaimonia a a lot as I was reading it. And that's something that James Tantillo, who we talked about about four episodes ago. So it's crazy how these philosophies kind of connect around these actions.
7: Yeah. and, And look, like these philosophers were real people in the real world that had to eat things that, you know, were served in the army, you know, that had, you know, positions of, of influence. They had students, you know, they gave speeches. They did like what what I love so much about stoicism is is, is how much it gets to the sort of core of the human experience. And in my book, Stillness is the Key, I, I open with this story. It's based on one of Seneca's letters where he's kind of like sitting, trying to, you know, write, do his job. And, you know, he's like, He's his his apartments like above a gym and you he can hear like, you know, vendors shouting, you know, their wares on the street and there's somebody getting arrested downstairs and there's weights that are being dropped. And, you know, he's got, you know, relationship drama and work drama. And he's just like he's like, I can't focus. it's But he's like, but I need to focus and I need to tune all this out. And you go, oh, man, for 2000 years, at least, you know, human beings have been trying to focus amidst chaos and, and, you know, dysfunction and that like, you know, life is life. Right. And, and that we're, we're, we're all like the experience that you had hunting is the same experiences that, you know, Theodore Roosevelt had a hundred years ago that, you know, French Kings had 500 years ago, that the Stoics had 2000 years ago, like that, 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 the world has not changed that much. And that when we can connect to that sort of deeper human experience, we can, I think, sometimes access wisdom that maybe, you know, our, our popular culture, like, isn't, isn't teaching the way that it should.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of, when you think about using this every day, even, even Marcus Aurelius was, would talk about what he would do in the morning, like what he would say to himself in the morning. Um, Yeah. Do you have like those things? Like, yeah, he said that he would meet violent men and charitable men and like how he would deal with that.
7: Yeah. Yeah. And I think he was doing that in a journal, right? Because that's what meditations is. It's his journal. So I think like I'm a big believer in routine. I'm a big believer in process. I think if you do routine enough, it becomes almost ritual. So like for me, it's it's waking up early. I sit down with a journal for a few minutes. I just I get I dump all the thoughts in my brain out onto the page. I take my kids for a walk. I don't use the phone right away. You know, we have breakfast as a family, and then and then I go. I go. I, you know, I take them to school, drop them off, and then I go right into the work. You know, it, it's the ritual and the process is really important. You do the same thing over and over and over again. It kind of lulls you into the right headspace. So I, I think that's that's really important. Um, I think journaling, especially, um, you know, a lot of the Really great insights we have about hunting comes from people's diaries and from their journals. And so, you know, keep that down for your kids. Keep that down for history. Keep, but, but also just the process of writing it down is helpful to you. And so, um, yeah, I, I think I think having that having having that ritual is really great. But but Marcus Aurelius is specifically, when he would go when he you know rise to meet the day, he would say something like, "Look, look." I'm gonna meet assholes today, I'm gonna meet jerks today, I'm gonna meet incompetent people today. You know, all that, he kind of tried to anticipate in advance all the things that he was likely to see. And then he goes, okay, but why are people like this? It's not because they're bad people. It's because they're tired. It's because they haven't had the training that I've had. It's because they're, you know, all these different things. And he's like, I can't hate them for this. I can't let them implicate me in their ugliness, he says. I just have to be ready and I have to be tolerant, and I got to go do what I got to do.
0: Yeah, that's that's the great thing that I've been learning from what you say. And really, for me, too, we've talked to a lot of intellectuals on this show, a lot of people that, I think James Tantillo being one of them, we've already mentioned him. But, but then a, little, a big turn for me was talking to people who could also, not that every intellectual professor or whatever can't, but people like yourself who also can say, here's the philosophical idea. We've already talked about this a little bit, but here it is in practice. Here it is in permanence. Like here it is in your life. Sure. Um, and we've been trying to pursue that here on the show. With people that have – that not only are environmentalists or hunters or critical thinkers, but have done things in their life, extraordinary things to kind of push these ideas forward and test these ideas really on themselves. Um, and it sounds like your daily life—you've done that. You've—you've you've said this is this is my process. This is how I think about things. Yeah, and this is how I allow that to make me better. I, I find that to be, you know, when talking about philosophy and ethics and all those things, when we get down to it, and it seems like you've done that. There's specific things you can do to be better.
7: Um, I think that's right. I- and that, it's beautiful. Have you have you read uh, General Mattis' new book, The Call Sign Chaos?
0: No, but I had somebody put that on my desk actually a
7: couple of days ago. You you would like it, but if, you know this goes to this point we're talking about with reading. He has something in there. He goes like, "Look, human beings have been fighting on this planet, you know, and writing about it for five thousand years. You know that that's like sort of the oldest book that we have is about five thousand years old." And he's like. He's like, it's inexcusable for a military commander to be learning by trial and error when those lessons have already been learned by other people and put in the, you know, helpful form of a book, right? He's like, he's like, you can't be filling body bags uh, when you could have just opened a book, and and that that's sort of what I think about. It's like, look, you know, really smart people, people way smarter than me, way smarter than you, ha- have written things. And we got it. We, we should start where they left off. You know, that that's what we should be. That, to me, that's what philosophy is about. It's about the accumulation of wisdom over thousands of years. You know, people who did the wrong, the right thing, people who did the, the wrong thing. You know, what did they learn? What strategies do they come up with? And how can we start to apply those in our own lives and then go have our own experiences that we add on top of that? And so. Yeah. Again, I don't think philosophy is this sort of theoretical thing. No, it's like it's what what have people learned? You know, what what have they done? And and do I agree or disagree? And does it work in practice in my own life?
0: Yeah, and I think I couldn't. Well, we really couldn't have this conversation, or at least end it on (laughs) anything other than like some of the ills of the world right now. Some of the more trite, I find there to be a lot of trite examples of things that are going on in the world. Like social media is, is making us, um, want instant gratification and want to give our opinion before we acquire knowledge and, and all these other things. I think we've become, they've become kind of normal to trot out as what's wrong with modern society. Yeah, Kids these these days. Kids these days. And I, I'm becoming like an old, I'm 34, but I, I'm becoming an old man on the porch already, which is scary to me, man. Um, my, I was watching randomly. I was watching Teen Jeopardy with my son, and they had a pop culture thing, and I got all of them wrong. And I was That's immediately like weird. mad at Alex Trebek for bringing it up. Sure, <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, that was an old guy. But anyway, back back to kind of the 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 more trite and common uh, criticisms of culture. How do you see those things? You know, social media. I think probably being the main one. And people's need for instant gratification, it's a microwave society, it only keeps getting worse. Um, how do you see those things? How do you interact with them? And then how do you apply stoicism to them?
7: Well, so I, I actually open, uh, still, this is the key with a quote from from uh, Blaise Pascal. He said, you know, all of humanity's problems stem from our inability to sit quietly in a room alone, which is true. It's also 500 fucking years old. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, like... Like we've always had trouble, like social media is not really doing anything new. I think it's just exacerbating tendencies we already had. So, you know, I, I, think, I think we can turn to ancient wisdom for some solutions to these modern problems. One, one of my favorite ones from Epictetus that I think about is, you know, he goes like, um, if you wanna improve as a person, you gotta be content to be seen as like ignorant or foolish on certain matters. So it's like, I don't know anything about this corona or, cano- I don't even know how to pronounce it, whatever this thing everyone's freaking out about in, in Asia. Like, it's gonna, it's not like me knowing, me following it in real time is certainly not gonna affect it. And it's only gonna take me away from what I should be focused on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like, if you know who you're gonna vote for, what the fuck are you watching the debates for, right? Like. Like uh, you know, um, like go watch a movie, at least a movie is entertaining. Uh, and so so I think we've sort of internalized this idea that we have to keep up with everything and that that like we'll be laughed at if we're if we're not like hyper informed on all the trends and you know sort of memes of the day. And it's true, you might get laughed at. But I think what this, the Stoic wants to cultivate is the ability to be okay with that because we have more important things that we're thinking about whether that's our family or our work or you know some you know like some work we're doing on ourselves or whatever it is i I think the ability to be like nah man i'm i'm opting out of that is i think really important
0: yeah and i think the other one to talk about because it's laid bare in everything stoicism is about it really to me is the victim culture and and blaming all these institutions oh, sure. for your problems and not being able to really affect the own, the solution to your own problems because you're blaming you know, these big cultural institutions and the things. I would bring an example. We talked a little bit about um, race and hunting and how race is um, determined what the – how prejudice is really determined like what the demographics of outdoorsmen and women are. We had this conversation – and in a part of the conversation, those um, African-American folks who felt like they weren't welcome in the outdoors were kind of moving through it. Like, well, I can't go on public lands because there's white people with guns there. And, and oh, interesting. at the time, I kind of brushed it aside and agreed with it. And I, I understand. I'm trying to understand where you're coming from rather than trying to be a critical of your words. But over time, I just thought, isn't that really just affecting the thing you don't want? by moving through the world and applying some, you know, idea that's really decades old to every place you go, public lands, there's white people with guns. So there might be racism there. Uh, it doesn't that, isn't that affecting racism in your own mind? So, um, and allowing you like starting out as a victim when really there's no reality or history behind in the modern sense, in the last two decades of, of white people on public, public lands with guns um, threatening african americans it's just it's not really there so i think that all ties into this but it goes back to of going through the world thinking of yourself as a victim because of the history of this country or the history of our species
7: well and look like physically fearing for your safety in in a real way like i'm much more sympathetic to that than this idea of like you know words are violence or you know like uh you know it's like trigger warnings you know one of the things the stoics talk about is is it's like look it takes two to tango as far as getting a getting offended goes right like words are objective and then we impute meaning on them we decide to take them as an offense right just like like i i choose to see you as a good person so i'm not offended by what you said or you know like I go around with a persecution complex, so I choose to see what you're saying as like you know deeply pointed and aggressive towards me. I think we we've we've come to this place where it's like everything is so good and so like bountiful that we've come to decide that like what we really want to do is like escalate the power of words to almost an absurd level, and and yeah, just. just like just going around being outraged and offended and hurt all the time is just not a good way to live, nor does it, nor does it bring anyone together or accomplish really anything. And so I I think a stoic wants to sort of cultivate a, like this idea of apatheia, which, which basically means like you're not jerked around by external things. So like if someone calls you a piece of shit, you shrug it off. If someone calls you, you know, the best hunter in the world or the best podcaster in the world or the best author in the world, you're like, Thanks, but like, you know, you don't know me. This doesn't mean anything to me, right? Um, one of my favorite lines from Marcus Trujillo he goes, like, he's like, accept it without arrogance, let it go with indifference. Like, you just keep an even keel, whatever they're saying about you, you know, whether your show's really popular or the numbers dip, like, you just got to focus on the work. You got to focus on you, and you can't get jerked around by all this stuff happening around you.
0: Yeah, and, that, and that, in your book you talk about there's all these examples of people that have done that, that have met these things, and you can certainly meet criticism and, and let it affect the way you produce your art or your work or your podcast or your book. You can change what you think based on what people that don't know you criticize you about, or you can just be you and move move through it, and that'll help you smash through some of the challenges you have rather than kind of reeling back every time someone comes at you.
7: Yeah, I remember I, I told that in, in my book, I have this story about Amelia Earhart and Amelia Earhart gets offered her, her first female transatlantic flight is like an incredibly offensive offer. They were like, hey, like, look, there's going to be two male pilots, like the pilot and the co-pilot. You're going to be the navigator. Like you don't have any say on anything, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it's like she said yes. She was like, fuck, yeah, I'm going to make that happen. And then she used that platform to, to do her female transatlantic solo transatlantic flight. Now I remember I told this story at a startup in Silicon Valley. And like this woman went on this like whole tweet storm about it, about how I was saying like, (laughs) you know, Ryan came here and he only had one female example in his talk. And he was saying that women should just be happy with whatever's offered to them. And it's like, come on. Like, first off, we're obviously on the same team here. Like I'm holding up this awesome woman as a hero of mine. Like, uh, clearly I'm not some like sort of you know regressive like uh, uh, like woman hater. And, and second, like you're totally missing the point of the story. The story is that she took a shitty opportunity and through sheer force of will, forced it into forced the world into accepting something they were not comfortable with accepting and, and through her determination and her stoicism and her commitment, you know managed to improve the planet. And here you're saying you're actually agreeing with the like the sexist of her time, which is like, uh, you know, she should have just sat around and waited for the perfect opportunity. You know what I mean? Like you're like, if she had listened to you, the world would be a worse place. And so there's, I don't know, it. Like I got to remember, like people have like this have always existed. People have always been short-sighted, easily offended, you know, small-minded, whatever. But like. It is it is strange how loud those voices are today. And I, I unfortunately I think social media amplifies them.
0: Yeah, and those the, that amplification becomes a weird version of cultural censorship. And it's it's laid bare in like outrage culture, but also people who need to make money and are scared to say something controversial because that controversy gets picked up by these these type of folks and trotted out totally. there as a way to, to cancel you or to diminish you or to push you away from the thing that allows your family to have a, a good life. I've experienced that. I mean, people, they know that. They're preying upon your need to have a life and your voice connected to your to your income. And so they use that to kind of silence you or scare you out of some topics. And you mentioned early on, you know, the, the piece you wrote about liberals, liberal millennials should go hunting was getting pushed back because it included things like AR-15s. And that just talking about that is controversial enough or just discussing it is so it's included so much vitriol and viciousness that people just don't want to touch oh, yeah. it anymore that's
4: censorship
7: no i mean it was crazy so i remember a couple i got a couple interesting reactions so i got you know i got a bunch of people like i'm unsubscribing i hate you how could you do this like you know whatever and and then i got some emails from people that like i didn't like this piece and they're like i disagree with you they're like but I, they were like I respect that you sent it instead of just writing about some much more politically correct topic. Like they were like they they noted they saw or at least acknowledged that it was not a safe thing for me to write about and they were just like, you know, like respect. And like I actually really appreciated that and I think I think culturally we're going to have to come to a place like right like it's like right now we have either everyone is like deliberately afraid to offend anyone and then we have these other awful people on the extreme end of the spectrum who think that hurting people's feelings and being offensive is like valuable for its own sake. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like we have this like this is more on the right, but there's a, this kind of like political culture of like like I want to make libs cry, or you know, like I want to I want to like I want to like humiliate these you know liberal idiots or whatever, like like like. Trump does this on Twitter and not a political statement, but like Trump says nasty shit for no reason on Twitter, which to me is beneath the president of the United States. Like, so, so in what we, we don't need either of that on either side. I think what we need is just like people being thoughtful, saying what they think, you know, being, being firm in what they believe, but also not trying to hurt people's feelings for the sake of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, I, I, like you and I could have a, a really nice conversation about AR-15s and hunting and what they mean and why we should have them or not have them. We could have a great conversation about that. Totally. And there'll be a lot of people that would listen to it and have already. They would just be looking to agree with one of us. They've. I've already made up my mind. Right. And for that reason, and for that reason, I'm like, listen, absolutism is the enemy. Like if you're listening to something and you've made up your mind, if you say I think about something this way, well, you're just going to move through the world looking for for challenging people that don't agree with you and looking to create an echo chamber with those who do and, and absolutism, especially moral absolutism leads to some weird lines of thinking. And a lot of what you've just described, people are just pissed before they even hear the idea, even at the, the mention of Trump or air 15s or any of these things, people can't even hear the words that are said after those terms Without trying to apply what they already think, and that's you can never learn that way, or grow that way, or get better that way. So,
7: no, I just I just wrote that down. I just wrote absolutism is the enemy. That's I, I like that. Yeah. No, it's funny. It's funny for me too because like I've I've written about like I don't like how easily offended people are. I don't like censorship. I don't like which you know I don't like this sort of snowflakey stuff on college campuses. I think this is bad. I think this is you know unwise. Blah blah. blah. So I'll write about that. And then every once in a while I'll say something because I'm, I'm not a Trump fan. So I'll just say like, you know, like I don't like, you know, I think this is beneath the office of the president or I'll, I'll like point out an example about how Trump's ego, say I write about ego a lot I'll write about how Trump's egos cause problems for him. And if people go like, how dare you say this about the president? Like I'm unsubscribing. And I'll be like, you know, you sound like a snowflake too, right? Like you sound like you can't hear anything that you don't like that doesn't confirm uh exactly what you believe or you freak out and you want to censor that person it's like no the, the 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 ideal is that free expression is important and that people should say what they think and that we should engage with ideas not attack people personally and and yet people think people only want to apply that to the other side they don't want to apply it to themselves and they definitely don't want to have to tolerate ideas that they don't like and to me that's like look that's, that's just totally missing the point, in my opinion.
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, I've, I've personally been beaten over the head with the Second Amendment, that I don't believe in it enough. And then I've been beaten over the head that I am um, too I care too much about the environment. <laughs> and so right. Right. I've, been, sure. I've been beaten over the head on both sides. I take pride in the fact that I've been attacked by liberals and conservatives within, I think, the hunting community. I take pride in that because I, I, I want to challenge both of the ide- their ideas that their thing is right. Because if it's if it's simple and right, that it's probably misleading. There's more to it, like you said, and a lot of other guests on the show have said in the past. It's the gray stuff where we all, totally. like almost every issue is gray, and so I think. No,
7: I love when you get attacked by both sides for the same comment. <laughs> to me, that means like you got it right. You know what it, I mean? Man. Like that means you're you're you've actually thought about it instead of just like picking a side like a sports team or something.
0: And also, yeah, bring it. You know, let's let's go. Sure. You're not going to censor me because you don't like this. Um, that's I think that you see that a lot in in Marcus Aurelius. Like, bring it, man. You're going to be an asshole to me. I'm not going to let you change. I'm going to accept you that you, assholes are part of this world and push right through that, um, and know that there's going to be people that are envious of this that have egos and agenda. But I'm going to do my thing, um, and I think if you can apply that to almost anything, especially people. Like yourself, that have in a tremendously powerful public voice this is this is something to just continue to march on with. And I think everybody with a social media channel has this a similar uh, opportunity to affect other
7: people well, no, and and look, I think if you're gonna say what you think and you're going to be an independent thinker, this is this this is what the power of podcasts is. Uh, it happens to be an email list and you know, owning your audience is like, yeah, like, when I went to the New York Times to get them to run a piece, like, they they got to say yes or no. But they, I knew it was always going to, I was always going to be able to send it to my email list because that's mine. You know what I mean? So I think that's, like, the power of figuring out these technologies is, like, owning your audience and controlling your destiny. I'm a big believer in that. I don't want to be, depend- I don't like when other people even have the ability to influence, like, my career or you know, my finances or whatever. I, I want to be as independent as possible. I think that's really important.
0: Yeah, and I think as you, you know, those out there start to read Ryan's work and you start to kind of dive into what being a Stoic is and this idea of Stoicism, you'll find that that, that this is a this is a very independent line of thinking. I mean, you didn't come up with it, <laughs> but applied to this... No, definitely not. Apl- applied to this modern times and applied to how polar polarized we are, this thing works um, and it is independent of any ideology. I mean, it just is, it's, it is what it is. It is, it's something that was, is yep. hundreds of years old and it's not informed by anything
7: we think now, um, which and, I and think is awesome. And it's worked for all different kinds of people. Or again, you got Epictetus who's a slave. You got Marcus Aurelius, you got, there's an emperor, you got, you know, James Stockdale in a POW camp in, in Vietnam, you know, like these are real people in the real world. Testing these ideas uh, in the laboratory, so to speak. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's easy to write a book and be like, "Hey, here's like, here's my, you know, some some stuff I just pulled out of my ass." Like, what matters is like, have real people tried this in the real world? And and that's why I'm pretty confident what I write about because it's like, I didn't make this up. I'm just illustrating through stories what has been, I think, definitively proven through the lives of some of these incredible people
0: yeah and you'll see you know those to connect it back to hunting one more time. I mean you'll see people that increasingly make hunting harder for themselves and there's a lot of a lot of folks that are why are you doing that? Why are you shooting a traditional bow when you could be shooting a compound bow when you could be shooting a crossbow or shooting a rifle and um why are you hiking up that hill when you could go around in this drainage and why are you It's not supposed to be easy, man. Yeah, Yeah. it's just not supposed to be. And once I got into it years ago, I just wanted to continue to find harder things and harder and harder and harder. And then having those ultimately moving to Montana for me was the proximity to that difficulty, right? Like I could go out my back door and climb a mountain if I wanted to. I didn't have to get on a plane and fly. And then I could get my kids out. Like you take your kids for a walk. I could take them up. We could run up to a peak every morning or visit Yellowstone and go go see wolves and grizzly bears. So, um, all this traces back as I was kind of going through this and and thinking about it and you know, reading your work, I haven't got this stillness is the key yet, but I will. Um, there's so many just interwoven ideas and philosophies that I think are great. So, um, whether you're hunting or you're bowling or you're boxing, it doesn't really matter as you well know. Um, it's just a way to be. Now, pe- people
7: are people and life is life. That's how I think about it.
0: I like it. I like it, man. Well, I'm uh, coming down to Texas in a couple, not too long. and oh, I mean, to hunt no. turkeys, man. And so, okay. if you wanna if you wanna get out and try to hunt a turkey, I promise they're delicious and fun to hunt. Um, I would love that.
7: M- Mark told me he was gonna take me, so uh, let, let's figure it out.
0: We should. Yeah, I'll be there in roughly a month and a half. So I'll, uh, I'll we'll dude. I'll get, you, I'll get, get your email. Thought. We'll figure it out. Let's do it, dude. Absolutely. Um, and, well, it's a great thing for your kids. I don't know how your kids are, but getting them out and having them at least watch a turkey come walking in and gobble its brains yeah. out is, a, yeah, is yeah. an awesome thing. Yeah, yeah. I would love that. So be checking the trees for turkeys on your place. Okay, I will. You I will. That'd be awesome. Well, thanks so much, Ryan, for, for joining us and for letting us in on stoicism. Um, tell everybody where they can kind of take in. I know your newsletter is like the main thing you do today. Tell people where they can find that.
7: Yeah, so uh, I'm ryanholiday.net, at ryanholiday everywhere. If you're really interested in stoicism, I do a stoic-themed email every morning. Like 250,000 people all over the world get it every day. Um, You can get that at dailystoic.com. Also, we do a quote every day on Instagram. There's a podcast version of it, which you can listen to. It's all called The Daily Stoic. My favorite thing that I'm doing now is I do an email every day inspired by ancient philosophy for, for parents called Daily Dad, which is dailydad.com. That's also a podcast as well. It's like, you know, like a two minute thing every day. So, uh, yeah, people might like that.
0: Yeah, I'm a brand new dad. I had uh, little boy number two just three weeks ago, so I can. Oh, uh, well, do it. Thanks, man. Well, congrats I got a to you. Three year
7: old and, a, and an eight month old. So uh, we're, we're, nice. in the, we're yeah. deep a, in this shit.
0: I got a three and a half year old and a three week old. So we're there. You go. We're swimming in the same shit. Um, <laughs> literally, <laughs> yeah. literally. Well, yeah, listen, yeah. listen, Congrats on you know what you've done and what you've built. Uh, like I said, it, I'm sure you know that it's affected a lot of people. Personally, I, I find it to be. Um I'm gonna I'm into the Daily Dad already just hearing about it. Um, ah, and so ah. keep doing it. Um, and thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, Ryan. <laughs> That's it. That's all. One oh two in the books. Phil is reeling. Look at him. I can't believe it. It was tense. The voting was uh... Oh, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. But yes, thank you to Ryan Holiday. I'm going to go try to hunt turkeys with Ryan Holiday uh, down in Texas soon and get him on the stick on turkeys and then uh, learn more about stoicism because I thought that was uh, one of the more enlightening conversations I've, I've had in a long time. Plus, um, he seems like a guy I want to follow direct to the point. Just a good dude communicating something that's helped him a lot. So I appreciate him. Hopefully have him back. i uh, making part of our list of oh, characters. And... Congratulations to A.B. Rich, man. We're going to frame this beautiful illustration and put it in the studios for everyone to see at all times. And we'll always know what Phil looked like in, in A.B. Rich's mind. So congratulations, Tundra 110, Worksharp, Ken Onion, Field Sharpener. Next time, we're going to do the same thing with your turkey calls. We're going to get to your videos and audio clips that you sent for turkey calls to win a Meat Eater signed cookbook, a THC hat, and a THC Yeti tumbler. So that's next time, episode 103, The Hunting Collective. Bye-bye. The Hunting Collective with Ben O'Brien is a part of the Meat Eater Podcast Network. It is produced by Corinne Schneider and engineered by Phil Taylor. You can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, TheMeatEater.com, or anywhere podcasts are downloadable. Wherever you listen, leave a five-star review and subscribe.
1: Hey guys, it's Steve on my phone in Hawaii, where it happens to be turkey season. And it is right now turkey week here at Meat Eater, which means tons of great turkey hunting content. A lot of great offers on turkey gear at TheMeatEater.com. And even a calling contest where I am getting my ass thoroughly kicked. Go find it all at TheMeatEater.com.